Jean is not my lover. That's Billy Jean. Michael Jackson from, I believe, 1983. One of the big breakdancing songs. If you were around, or at least old enough to remember 1983, I'm sure you associate that song with breakdancing. In fact, Alfonso Ribeiro, who is better known later for appearing on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as Carlton, he was also on Silver Spoons with Ricky Schroeder, and he breakdanced that song on Silver Spoons. So, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friend Show. I am Todd Dandruff Wittellis, and this will be the last show until February 10th, 2015. Today is January 27th, 2015. That means one week will be missing. <clears throat> I'll be skipping a week next week because I'm just not available to do the show on any of the nights. So... You'll have to get along without me, and if you miss it too much, there's always the archives. You can always go back and listen to any show we've had up till now in 2012, 13, 14, or 15. I do not have a co-host tonight, so I'm going to be flying solo, and hopefully things will go okay. You never know with this show what will happen. I guess we can pick up a co-host. I mean, at the end of the last show, we picked up Brandon as a third co-host or third host, I guess, second co-host, towards the end. He just kind of called in unexpectedly. We are starting late tonight. If you're listening in the archives, you don't notice. But if you're listening live, you'll notice we started half an hour late. So apologies for that. But I'm sure you've come to be used to that on this show. We do have a free roll tonight, but uh, it's not a very big free roll. It's a $30 free roll. We've hit an all-time low, I think, in our free roll. $30, and uh, I'm going to hold off announcing the prize just in case someone gives a last-minute donation. I'm not trying to guilt the chat room, by the way, into donating. I'm just, I'm just mentioning we only have $30, but it, it's okay if we do. I mean, you, you can't have 100 every week. Once in a while, you got to you know, scrape what you have and make do with it. It's kind of like a college student who's stuck eating ramen when usually he's able to eat McDonald's. So, that's what's going on here tonight. No McDonald's for us tonight, only ramen. $30 worth of ramen is being given away, unless we get more. <clears throat> I'll announce the prize pool on that shortly, and the distri- distribution of the prize pool. Other stuff that I would start with on this show, before we get going, the intro stuff that all of you love so much. If you want to call the show, you can reach me at 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. That is an old 70s rotary telephone sitting on top of Mount Charleston, which is a mountain near Las Vegas. There is snow up there, and it forwards to me wherever I am. That phone number is 702 702- 430-1808-702-430-1808. No matter which phone number you call, you have to show your caller ID or you won't get through. It's that simple. If you want to text me during the show, I will read your text on the air unless you ask me at the beginning of the text not to read it. So don't tell me at the end, oh, by the way, don't read this. You need to say at the beginning, don't read this. Otherwise, I will, re- I will read it on the air. That phone number is the same as the main phone number, 775-372-8355, 775-372-8355, our main phone number and text phone number. You can text me during the show, 
after the show or before the show, anytime, 24 hours a day, you can text me and I will respond. Seriously, try it. Here's a text we got last week, for example. Someone asking me, if I were to cash out $4,000 from Bovada, would I have to report this to the IRS? Or if I cash out 6000 do I have to report it? Uh, the answer is, um, it has to do with your income, technically, of whether you are required by law to report it. But the practical answer, and by the way, don't hold me to this if it doesn't work out for you, but honestly, the practical answer is, if all you cash out the entire year is four or $6,000, uh, no one's going to worry about it. You're not going to get questioned. The IRS is not going to audit you. I'm not promising you that because the IRS can do what it wants to do. But if that's all you're cashing out uh, and you don't report it to the IRS, uh, there's a very high chance you're going get to away, get away with it. And that's just a fact. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not encouraging people to evade taxes. I'm just telling you that uh, that's the way they typically work. That was a text we got from uh, – I, I won't even say the poor guy's area code in case uh, he's afraid the IRS is listening – and might audit him. Uh, let's see what we have here. Uh, anything else? Oh, from the 470. Poker Fraud Alert Radio is so much better when Brandon is on. Where is One Step's gay ass at? Well, I know he still has a gay ass, but I don't know where he is. I don't know if he listens anymore. So, sorry, can I help you there? Someone 951 area code. I guess it's Jay Acosta, because he says... All hail Jay Acosta. Any advice on playing the L.A. Poker Classic at Commerce? No, I'm not really a tournament player. I play the World Series and that's it. I played the LAPC a few times. I haven't been there in a few years. Uh, cannot give you any advice that uh, will really help out here. Sorry, I can give you World Series advice, not really LAPC advice. And uh, I guess that's it. 775-372-8355 is the text number. If you want to talk to me in the chat room, you can do so by scrolling up to the top, near the top of the screen. There's a chat button. You just click on it, start chatting. Of course, you have to be listening live to find anyone in the chat room. But to be honest, you will be interacting more with the other listeners to the show and not with me, especially when I'm by myself. I can't do a show and chat at the same time. It just would not make good radio. It would slow things down. I can't multitask that well. So you do need a flash-enabled device and a Poker Fraud Alert forum account in good standing to get into the chat room. So if you have an iPhone or an iPad and you want to use that to read the chat, you're out of luck. It won't work. The free roll tonight? Let's see if I've gotten anything. Oh, all right. Okay, we got something. We got something. $50 has been sent to me. I'm not sure if the person wants themselves named, so I won't name them. If they want to be named, they can tell me. Otherwise, it's a $50 anonymous contribution. So that adds to the 30 I was going to give away. So now we can afford a McDonald's meal with this free roll. So let me think up the prizes here. $80. I, I guess that will be... First place will be 40 Second place, we will make 23 Nice round number. Uh, third place, we will make uh, 16. And what does that leave? Damn it. Fourth place is 11. So 20, 40, 23, 16, and 11. No, it doesn't work. I messed up. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
Let me try that again. 40, 23, 10, and 7. That's what we'll do. I put $10 too many there. I need to go back and take third grade math. So 40, 23, 10, and 7. Sorry for the confusion. I'm doing this on the fly as I'm doing a radio show. That will be our $80 prize pool tonight. And thank you to the following people for donating to the free roll. That will be the $50 donor who may or may not want to stay anonymous, so I won't name him. Snow Tracks donated $10. Dr. Peters donated $15. And One Marley won the Mad the Mad Red Repper. It's hard to say, the Mad Red Repper. Not Ripper, but Repper. He's the one who gives everybody a negative reputation on the forum to where I finally had to take away his powers to do that. He gave $5 despite the fact that he cannot give reputation anymore. So... Thank you to you guys for the $80. I appreciate that. Everyone's giving me a hard time about the math being hard. Someone said math is hard. I think that's in reference to a Barbie that came out, I think in the 90s. And you could make Barbie say things. And one of the things Barbie said was math is hard. And it really got the feminists angry. Because they didn't like the stereotype that girls can't do math. So they quickly pulled that off the market. It was a dumb idea. It really was a dumb idea. It's true that uh, on the whole, girls are not as successful in mathematics courses as males are. There are some girls who are very good at math, but there's uh, you know on the whole, uh, males do better in math. Maybe it's something natural in the male brain that makes it better in math. Maybe it's a societal thing. Maybe it's both. But I understand why this would bother parents who are hoping that their daughter will go into a math-related profession or at least have the possible desire to do so, and then they play with a doll that says math is hard. (laughs) That wasn't a very smart idea on the part of Patel who made uh, the Barbies. So anyway, I guess for me, math was hard tonight, and I'm not even female. So just in case I haven't alienated the very few female listeners we have to this show, yeah, I should try that. I should, just, I should try saying some really sexist things on this show and see if anyone gets angry. And if no one gets angry, then I will know that we have zero female listeners because that's the one thing I'm unsure about. Uh, I know we have black listeners. I know we have Hispanic listeners. I know we have gay listeners, gay males that is. Uh, I know we have old listeners, we have young listeners, we have middle-aged listeners. I just don't know if we have any female listeners. I don't know if we have any. We used to, but they may have fallen off. They may be gone. So if you're a female listener, I appreciate it. There was one who was texting me a few months ago telling me that she's female and she listens. So I don't know if she's still around. Anyway, let me give you the agenda to the show. And of course, if you want to play the free roll, it starts at 7.40 p.m., no Limit Hold'em in the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find at the top of the screen. You need a separate account there to play, but you don't need any kind of chips. You don't need me to help you. I got an email from a guy this week saying, hey, can you enable my account to play? I don't need to enable anything. Once you have a registered account on the poker uh, on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, then it will work for the free roll. You don't need any help from me. So uh, what you do need is a registered forum account dated... 2013, anytime in 2013 or before. If you don't have that, 
then you can't win the free money unless I give you an exception, which I only have to give you once. Once I give you an exception, it stays. For that exception, you need to convince me you've been listening to at least three shows and tell me some things you've heard in the show that are not in the official show description to prove it to me. You can email me dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and tell me those things, and I will either tell you you can play or you can't play. If I say you can't, that just means you have to listen a bit more. But most of the time I say you can't play. So that'll be starting in about 20 minutes, and uh, thank you again to all those that donate to this thing, because it's not my money. It's not me putting up my Jew gold for this. It is the listener base and the users of the forum who donate here. People have asked me before, well, why don't you contribute? Why don't you contribute to your own free roll? How can you, why are you making your users pay for your own free roll? Well, number one, this site doesn't make any money. Number two, this site loses money. Number three, I put a lot of time and effort into this forum and in this show. And um, I, I feel that's kind of, the way I pay the community is by putting all this together. Now, I'm not trying to say you need to thank me. I'm just saying that uh, that's why I don't put up my own money and I let others do it. I feel the others doing it are doing it both for the community and as a little thanks to me for running this show. And, uh, you know, and I appreciate the generosity that comes from these people. And that's why I give them the power to dictate any terms of what, what uh, place I pay with the money or any other funny or quirky terms, I let them decide because it's their own money. Because I never feel that I ever have a right to your money. I never have a right to money that you voluntarily give to me. That's something I always appreciate. That's something that I feel always deserves respect when you voluntarily hand money to me or this site. It's really not to me because I put it in the free roll. But uh, anyway, let's get going. Let's get going. Let's see what the chat room has to say. Um, zero female listeners someone thinks it is uh, spelling is hard too <laughs> over under on the free roll starting before the agenda ends oh I have to go with uh, I guess we'd call it under meaning it won't I guess that's what he means. But yeah, I, I think we're going to still be on the agenda by the time the free roll starts. You know you know how slow I am with the agenda. Actually, you know what? It's probably over tonight. I'm going to give you a betting tip. It's probably over. And you should follow my betting tips. I'm actually 8-2 and two in my last 10 NBA bets, if you've been following, after struggling for a bit. So you should go with my pick here. I think it's going to be over, meaning the main show will start before the free roll because I don't have a co-host tonight so I can get through the intro pretty quickly at least the agenda pretty quickly because I'm not discussing it with the other guy so let's go let me hurry up and get this done before the next 18 minutes pass and I can win the over the World Series of Poker is not very well known for taking constructive criticism and making changes due to that constructive criticism when we have this fail that occurs at the World Series in some form or another every year, a lot of it is because they don't learn from the past. They don't take suggestions from players. Uh, they kind of do their own thing. And only after some sort of mass outrage or major disaster occurs at the World Series do they fix something. So like, uh, you know, if they run an event and it goes terribly, then they fix it the next year, usually. 
if uh, they do something stupid like have an outdoor tent to play these events in and the thing blows down and almost injures or kills people, then they change it the next year. So things like that they will change, uh, but smaller things or things that don't really create a major story, uh, they don't change. And year after year they have problems. So in 2014, they had for the first time ever the $10 million guarantee and that is for the very, very first, not very, very, the first place winner, the winner of the main event was guaranteed $10 million. And people said, hey, that's kind of interesting. And there wasn't much talk about it. There wasn't much uh, opposition to it. But interestingly enough, the opposition began the second year they're doing it. And that is for 2015, people were complaining about it starting last month. And the World Series of Poker just defended it. They did not act like they were taking the complaint seriously. In fact, all they did was get on Twitter and argue with those that were raising objection to the $10 million guarantee. I will tell you why these pros were complaining, and that part's a month old, but what's not a month old is that the World Series of Poker, after digging their heels in and saying that they're not changing a damn thing and that these pros don't know what they're talking about, they've changed it. Yeah. A major change has occurred to the World Series of Poker main event pay structure. A major change that will affect me personally. So I will tell you guys about the change. I'll tell you how I feel about it. And I will take some guesses as to why they came around after refusing a month ago. With no further provocation. Well, two and a half years ago on this show... We made a lot of fun of a wannabe poker reality show known as Full House with Johnny Chan. This was a reality show where supposedly Johnny Chan picked uh, what was it, four or five amateur poker players, staked them each $200,000 to play in a tournament on his living room table. Well, everyone thought it was hilarious and not... Hilarious because it was intended to be hilarious, but it was hilarious because of how bad and how campy and how stupid it was, even for a reality show. It was really, really embarrassingly bad. In fact, that's where we picked up the Chico Loco character that I subsequently used on various prank calls. Uh, Chico Loco was a character in that show, and I kind of extended that character uh, to make prank calls in the future. This Full House with Johnny Chan, the creator claimed that it was already picked up by various networks, but it never went anywhere. As far as we know, and I'm pretty sure about this, they never made even a single full episode. It never aired anywhere. It never went anywhere. Unbelievably, uh, Doyle Brunson was in the beginning of it too. (laughs) But anyway, that's two-and-a-half-year-old news. The 2015 news is that the creator of Full House with Johnny Chan has decided to do a reboot of the whole concept, this time without Johnny Chan, called Full House Las Vegas. So I'm going to play you the new sizzle reel, is what they call it, kind of like a trailer for Full House Las Vegas. And you might wonder, well, it's been two and a half years. Uh, You probably don't remember Full House with Johnny Chan all that well. I'm going to play that too. It's been deleted from YouTube. It's been found in an archive somewhere, but... That's not what I'm going to play. 
rather than playing Full House with Johnny Chan's sizzle reel again and commenting on it again, I am going to reach back into the past. I'm going to bring a co-host on with me. That is Brandon Drexel Gerson. But it's not going to be the Brandon that you know today. It's going to be the 2012 Brandon Drexel Gerson and the 2012 me playing Full House with Johnny Chan and commenting on it. And then I will play the newer one. And I will tell you that the two of them have a lot more in common than just the similar theme and the same producer. Furthermore, there's a fairly well-known poker coach and tournament player who's now associated himself with this in a very dishonest fashion. So I will explain what's going on there. David Skolansky has been playing poker live on Twitch.tv. Supposedly he's doing this because Mason wants him to, but he is. He, I mean, he's been on several nights on Twitch TV. You can watch on the internet and watch him play tournament poker and sometimes cash game poker. The best-known poker instance on Twitch was that guy Sticky Rice won, who won like $40,000 and then proceeded to chunk it all off on Bovada. Uh, David Skolansky won't be doing that, but I think he's on there right now, and in fact I may even put it on during the show and comment on it. <laughs> we won't spend too long putting his show on my show, but uh, I'll tell you what I'm doing, which can be pretty soon, provided he's on there right now. And you guys can even jump in his chat room and uh, try to get a reaction out of him on the air of this show. Speaking of poker coaches, we will segue into another poker coach subject. Justin Schwartz, also known as Stealth Monk, was attacking Jonathan Little and all poker coaches of pretty much being frauds. So I'll tell you what uh, Stealth Monk said and whether I agree with it. People who lived in New Jersey got what appeared to be good news on their cell phones that Full Tilt is going to launch in New Jersey. But it turns out this was an accident. It's not going to launch yet. They were testing something and accidentally promoted a launch that's not going to happen. I'll explain what occurred and... uh, what Amaya, the Full Tilt owner, has had to say about that. There's a bill on the floor of the Nevada legislature to end the ability for people to stake one another in poker tournaments in Nevada. This would only affect the state of Nevada. But there's a lot of people panicking. How can we play the World Series of Poker if there's no staking? You know, nobody can buy a piece of me. Nobody can stake me. What the hell? Is this going to be illegal in Nevada to do? There's a lot of panic about this. I'll tell you if the panic is justified, and I'll explain this bill. Speaking of poker-related bills, there's a new online poker bill introduced in the state of California. This one is Pro Poker Stars. I'll tell you more about that. Todd Brunson has faced off with Andy Beal at the Bellagio. No, this is not a story from many years ago. If you remember in the past, uh, Andy Beal, who's a very, very rich banker who likes to play heads-up limit Texas Hold'em, played against uh, what they called the Corporation, which was basically various poker pros at the time who pooled their money together to play him at very, very, very high limits. In fact, the highest they ever played was 100,000, 200,000 limit, where the blinds were 50,000 to 100,000, which is crazy. Uh, Beal felt that his advantage was the deep bankroll and the lack of fear about that money. Can you imagine playing for that kind of money every hand? Like uh, if the small blind folds to the big blind, you just made 50000 bucks with no action? That's crazy. 
Anyway, uh, Brunson and Beal played a 50K, 100K game at Bellagio. I'll tell you how that went. And uh, we'll talk about whether it's uh, the beginning of this happening again. There's going to be more of this with Andy Beal. Well, there's a question of whether governments are using the Internet to spy on you. And this is not about the American government, but the Polish finance ministry was caught scraping data from the Hendon Mob tournament database to find out information about Polish tournament players. So we'll talk about what happened there. The Hendon Mob is really mad about this. Uh, Finally, Coinbase has set up a Bitcoin exchange. Coinbase, you've always been able to use them to buy and sell Bitcoin, but now they're creating an exchange for not every state, but for a number of states in the U.S., and it has affected Bitcoin prices. We will talk about that. That's our agenda for this evening. The free roll will start in nine minutes. I will jump right into this. Let me see if we got uh, get any texts here. Any texts? Uh, we did not. Let's see if we have anything in the chat room. Um... Now, Danny Didwood said Todd would crush Beal at uh, Limit Hold'em. I don't know if he's talking about Todd Brunson or me. Hmm, probably Todd Brunson. I would love to play Andy Beal, not for that type of money, obviously, but I would love to play him or be back to play him. I know that would never happen, but I would enjoy that. I've actually improved my heads-up Limit Hold'em game a lot over... The years here. I used to be more of a full ring and six max player. I, I will say my best game is six max. You know, and anywhere from like three handed to six handed is my favorite, but I've improved my heads up a lot. So I would love to play someone like Andy Beal heads up. So if you want to stake me five million dollars, uh you know where to find me. Let's talk about the World Series of Poker. Actually, let's not talk about the World Series of Poker. Let's let's put that aside for the moment. And let's go to Twitch and David Skolansky. Let's see if he's still there. He could be off already. I guess whenever he uh, busts from the tournament he's playing or uh, is just done doing it, he just kind of abruptly ends it. But let's see if he's on right now. If he is, we'll do this first. This is a twitch.tv slash 2 plus 2 underscore poker. It's all... It's words, not number two plus two, but TWO plus TWO underscore poker. The broadcaster indicated that the channel is intended for mature audiences. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it's David Skolansky. It better be mature audiences. The guy's got a, uh, a dildo in his glove compartment. It better be a pretty mature audience. <laughs> All right, I guess he's offline, so we'll, we'll just talk about this later. I'm not going to jump into that as the first topic. I was hoping we could catch him, but... You know, he's, he disappears pretty quickly. He's there, and then he's gone. So let's get into the first intended topic. The World Series of Poker, uh, as I was saying as I was introducing the show, is uh, they came out about a month ago with some information about both the main event and some other high-profile events they are having. 
They have not yet released the full schedule. That should happen very soon. But uh, they announced that once again, just like last year, the guaranteed first prize for the 2015 main event will be... One million dollars. Times ten. Ten million dollars for the winner. And I think when they announced it last year, everyone kind of thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Wow, ten million. Like, it's always been getting close to ten million, but other than 2006, where they had almost 9,000 people, it's never broken ten million. In 2006, it was 12 million. But uh, since we just don't seem to be getting even as many as 7,000 players anymore... Uh, it just is not going to hit $10 million. So they said, hey, why not make it $10 million and then they can like, use this as a big marketing tool, saying play the World Series of Poker main event and have your shot at $10 million even. And for the first year of this, th- there wasn't a lot of objection, and people just kind of said, all right, well, it's a new thing. Even pros were kind of like, eh, I'm kind of neutral on this. You know, It'd be cool if I win it, but but yeah. Ten million dollars, okay. It's not that much different, you know. It's usually like nine or eight, so it's ten. Okay, whatever. And it went that way, and there wasn't much fanfare. And uh, of course, the winner of the main event is always some kind of pro player. It's always a player who's a very, very good player. Because you can't get through a field like that in that deep of a structure and not be an excellent player. You just can't. You're not going to have a fish that wins it. A fish might be able to make like the final two tables. A fish is not going to make it all the way and win. At least it would be highly unlikely. So when a pro of some sort, not usually a big name pro, but some kind of pro wins the $10 million, where does it go? Does it go back to the poker economy? No, it disappears. It goes into that person's personal wealth. They may spend it in other ways. They may gamble it off in other ways, but it's not going back into the poker community except in you know, some cases like someone like Jamie Gold who chunks it all off at high limit games. But even when that happens, it ends up going in the pockets of people who are big-time winning players who, again, don't give the money back to the community. So this has started to bother certain poker pros that believe that these top-heavy payouts at the World Series of Poker main event are bad. And that all it's doing is taking money out of the poker community. It's making a few pros rich, and the fish are not uh, getting very much money to feed back into the community. So on December 24th, shortly after the preliminary like news of the World Series of Poker 2015 was announced, as I said, they didn't give a full schedule, but they gave a partial schedule, and announced that $10 million is coming back, uh, there started to be some objections to this. And the first objection was raised by uh, a poker pro who's named uh, Brian Rennert. I hadn't really heard of him before. Brian Rennert brought up an objection on Twitter to uh, the $10 million guarantee. This is what Brian Rennert tweeted on December 24th. Didn't you guys feel the disappointment from the poker community last year with the $10 million guaranteed to the detriment of the players? Now, I, I think Brian Rennert was exaggerating. I didn't notice a lot of disappointment. Of course, there were probably some people complaining, but there wasn't a, a mass campaign against this. There wasn't a lot of outrage on Twitter. Uh, 
I, I think Brian Rennert was exaggerating that, but at the same time, he was bringing up an important point that, uh, yeah, this is to the detriment of players that the money disappears from the community. So Ty Stewart, who's basically the head of the World Series, he tweets as at WSOP suit D, like suited, but it's suit D, S-U-I-T-D. He's Jack Effel's boss. He wrote back to Brian Rennert, what we saw was the first entrant increase in years and many first-timers to the main event, and while we'd love to please all, that's our job. I don't even know what that means. That, that's his explanation for why there's a $10 million guarantee. It makes no sense. But this started a lot of different pros shooting tweets toward both Ty Stewart and World Series of Poker Tournament director Jack Effel. Jared Jaffe on the same day wrote, haven't heard one person who wouldn't prefer paying top 1K spots and guarantee $1 million for ninth. Let's correct a very fixable mistake. So then Ty Stewart says, I bet you're speaking mainly with full-time players. Yes, round number leads to more media coverage, leads to new entrants we need. Which is weird because he was just saying that they, well, I guess he's trying to say that last year they got a 5% increase, so it's because of the $10 million guarantee, which I don't believe. The David Baker, this David ODB Baker, who I'm no big fan of, as you guys know. Me and him do not get along at all. But he said this, Flatter payouts better for long-term growth growth of poker. Your slight bump is negated by the money not going back into the community future years. So he, he's basically saying the money's not going back to the community, even if this is the reason you're going up by 5% entrance, it's not worth it. Even though I don't like David Baker, he's right in this case. Matt Affleck, remember him? He says, instead of $10 million, uh for uh, the World Series first place, guarantee a thousand places paid and a million ninth appeals to more players. That's exactly what Brian Rennert says. In fact, according to this article, that was on the 23rd. Maybe it was Matt Affleck who brought it up and not Brian Rennert. This article seems to portray it as coming from Rennert, but I guess it came from Matt Affleck. He did the first uh, tweet about that. So good job to him. Anyway, uh, Kev Math, who listened to this show, Kevin Mathers, Kev Math. Uh, said the simple solution to send a survey to everyone who played the main event if they like the ten million to first flatter payouts etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, he got a response back. Conclusion by promoting a ten million dollars, they are ensuring the growth of the game and it's supporting their loyal base of customers. So most poker pros felt that the ten million is bad. It takes the money out of the community and. Uh, it's just bad for players that a flatter pay structure paying a lot more places, giving the fish more chance to cash is better and that the fish will enjoy it because more of them will cash. So they won't come home 10,000 in the hole. In fact, they'll come home with uh, a profit. So uh, there was a lot of answers back and forth about this. Jack Effel at one point said, that recreational players do not care about min-caching. It doesn't matter to a recreational player whether he min-caches (laughs) 20,000. 
Okay. Well, maybe a very rich recreational player, but I can tell you that the vast majority of recreational players do care very much about min-cashing. How do I know this? Because the bubble, the World Series of Poker main event bubble, takes hours to burst. Hours! It takes forever. And you should see the tiny stacks that are letting themselves get it blind down just so they can get that $20,000. So the recreational players, to them, it's huge to cash. The ones that are raping the bubble, the ones that are constantly stealing from people who are on the bubble and don't want to take a chance. Those are the pros who are willing to bubble. The ones who are not willing to bubble are the amateurs. The amateurs, it's very important to them to cash. They feel much better when they cash than when they don't cash. It's a big deal. Now, do they show up at the at the main event saying, okay, I'm putting 10000 in so I can win 20000 No, that's not what they're doing. They're not showing up putting in 10000 with a 1 in 10 chance at best to win another 10000 That would not be a good gamble. Of course, they show up with the dreams of the $10 million, But once they lose their money or their chips, once they lose most of their chips, and yet they're running deep in the event, uh, at that point, their sights change and go toward min-cashing. And if they squeak away with a min-cash, they go home happy. If they bust out, especially after four days of playing with nothing to show for it, which I've done three times now, then you're very unhappy. So min-cashing is important. The fact that the bubble takes so long, the fact that so many rec players are so cautious in the bubble, proves that min-cashing is important. If the $10 million was all that mattered to the rec players, what they would do is they would not care about the bubble, and, and they would say, hey, I'm not nursing this tiny stack. I'm going to play my normal game. In fact, I'm going to be more aggressive with everybody else being tight. So I totally disagree with what Ethel said about that. But this is all month-old news. This debate was had a month ago. It was crushed by the World Series powers that be, Jack Effel and Ty Stewart, and that was that. And a month passed. So it was pretty certain that this was over, that the million guarantee, which they had already promoted in press releases everywhere, that was already being uh, pushed for the next year, that there's no chance that this is going to be a reversed course, maybe, maybe for 2016, but there's no chance after they announced this for 15 and defended it that they're ever going to change course. Well, guess what? They did. They changed course. This is an email that everybody in the poker media received today from Seth Polanski. This is the email that he sent out to every member in the poker media, myself included. I am part of the poker media. This is what he said. Wait, that's not what he said. Here's what Seth Polanski said. The World Series of Poker has made a change to its payout structure for the main event, replacing the 10 million first place guarantee in favor of guaranteeing 1,000 places receiving winnings. Wow. So they did exactly what uh, Brian Rennert and Matt Affleck said uh, said they should do. They suggested get rid of the $10 million, instead pay 1,000 places. And what's the World Series doing? They're paying 1,000 places. For some reason, it took them a month to decide this. For some reason, they rejected everyone as if they were crazy 
when they were suggesting this. It's not like they were saying, oh, okay, these are good ideas, but we're not sure if we can implement this. Let us think about it. They gave a flat no. They said, absolutely not. They said, we're not doing it. We know what we're doing. You don't... You guys are just uh, you know, the full-time pro poker players. You're a small minority of everyone in the World Series of Poker main event. We can't listen to you. We know what's best for the general public who plays this event, and that is $10 million for first place. They didn't even open themselves up to discussion about it. They were pretty much telling everyone why they were wrong. And now they're doing exactly what the poker community asked them to do. <laughs> but that's good. Okay, I'm glad they listened. I'm glad they turned around. So this is uh, a quote from Ty Stewart. The dream of life-changing money is core to the DNA of the World Series of Poker main event, and we also want it to be easier to experience playing in poker's big show. Our players understand numbers, and 2015 now presents the best odds ever to leave the main event a winner. So he's totally changing. Totally changing. First he's saying, we need the round number of first plays, the round number of $10 million to attract people. Now he's like... Uh, you know, actually, it's it's now easiest to cash than ever, and, and we need to do that. With a strategy to more broadly distribute the prize pool, the World Series of Poker main event will still award a massive prize to its champion. If the participation numbers are the same as 2004, which is 6,683, the 2015 winner would receive $8 million, a prize consistent to the winners of the past decade before last year's $10 million first place prize to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the event at the Rio. And that's not why they did it. They just, it just happens to be a coincidence, but they, uh, they did it because they thought it was a great marketing idea. In addition, all final table participants would receive at least $1 million. So they took that advice as well. It looks like Matt Affleck is now running the World Series. Using the 2014 main event entry number, 6683 entries, the 2015 main event payout structure would look like this. First place, $8 million. Second place, $4,663,527. Third place, $3.5 million even. Fourth place, $2.75 million. Fifth place, $2 million. Sixth place, $1.5 million. Seventh place, $1.25 million. Eighth place, $1.1 million. Ninth place will be, as they promised, $1 million. What about the Bubble Boys? Tenth through twelfth place will get 550000 Then they don't bother to list the rest of them, but they go down to 50th place, 142500 100th place, 50000 500th place, 20,850, 693rd place, which is what they said was last year's uh, last paid place, 16,750, and then 694th through 1,000th place will be 15,000. So they will adjust this a little bit depending upon the number of entries. This is based upon uh, if they got the exact same number as last year, which is Almost surely not going to happen because it's just so unlikely to get the exact same number, but they'll probably get close. But they're saying if it's around the same, this is around what you can expect. But what they're guaranteeing here is nine, ninth place gets a million, first place eighth, eight million, and a thousand people will be paid a minimum of 15,000. Which, based on last year's numbers, is around 15% of the field. So that's a big change from 10% of the field. 
Yeah, based on last year's number, it's just about 15%. 14.96% would have gotten paid last year under this structure. The World Series of Poker recognizes the main event is a unique tournament unto itself, given the highly international field, percentage of repeat players, and, lof- and lofty $10,000 buy-in. The World Series of Poker believes that, a high- that paying a higher percentage of players in this particular event, based upon last year's entry, would be akin to 15% of the field, nearly 50% more players than previously paid, will encourage both new and repeat participation of the event, and thus an increased prize pool. The current slate of individual events offered during the 40th 6th Annual World Series of Poker is almost finalized with 60-plus official gold bracelet events on tap and will be announced in full in the coming days. So probably by next week you will have the World Series of Poker full schedule. I hope we see some more limit hold'em events than the two we had last year. Then they also mentioned that the event must have a minimum of 5,000 entrants in order to pay 1,000 places, but that won't be a problem. I'm sure they'll get 5,000 or more. They've gotten way more than that you know, every year uh, for the last, I don't know, we're going back like, I think, uh, 10 years or so. So I would guess we're going to get about 6,800 entrants this year. That's my guess, 6,800. I think that's a good over-under. So if that's true, if they get 6,800 people, that means it'll be almost the top 15%. Unless there's 10,000 or more entrants, which I think is highly unlikely, then they'll be paying more than 10%. And this is a much flatter payout. Now, of course, if you finish in the range of like the last few hundred, actually 700th place or worse, somewhere around there, uh, between that and 1,000, you'll only get 15,000. And when you bought in for 10,000, you're only making 5,000. So you're making 5,000 on a $10,000 buy-in, which is not very much for a tournament like that. But still, you're getting something. You're getting something. Now, someone who this would have helped, not last year, but previous years, was me. I finished in the top 15% in 2012 and 2013. In 2014, or sorry, in 2011, I finished like in the top 17%. So I would have cashed two of those three years where I did not cash. I actually think this is a good thing for me personally because I have a conservative play style in the main event. A lot of people know me and they know me as a cheap Jew and they just assume I'm probably a big nit when I play poker. And that's not always true. When I play Limit Hold'em, I'm actually a fairly aggressive player. And I don't play like a nit at all. I'm not a maniac, but I'm not a nit by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, at some of these like 1,500 no-limit events, I'm not a nit. But in the uh, World Series of Poker main event, I am a conservative player. And I- I'm not going to go into the reason for that now. But this will help the conservative players because the conservative players are more likely to get something like, uh, you know, somewhere between 10% and 20% of the field being left when they bust. Those are the people must most likely to be, to benefit from this change. Whereas the people who either accumulate a huge amount of chips or go bust are not likely to be helped by this. For example, Mark Newhouse with his uh, pretty wild, aggressive and high variance main event play style he is someone who is not likely to be helped by this. But I am someone who is likely to be helped. And while I don't shoot for a min-cash, it's just my style happens to be one where a min-cash is more likely than someone with a more aggressive and gambly style. 
So I'm happy to see this for personal reasons. But even taking that out, this is good because it lets the fish leave with money. Now, of course, I can't say that uh, there are all that many fish in the top 1,000 finishers out of like 6,600-some-odd main event entrants, but there are some. And a lot of these players are still not winning poker players, even though they lucked into making it that far. And these people now will be walking out with $15,000 instead of nothing, instead of empty-handed. And they will come back next year because they had a good experience. They didn't waste 10k in a futile attempt to get down to the final 10%. I can tell you that the final 10% and the final 15% is actually a pretty big difference. I remember thinking that. I remember every time I busted when I was in the final uh, 17%, 13%, 12% like I did in 2011 through 13, I remember thinking, "Wow, if they were paying like top 20, Versus top 10, this would be so much easier. Because I was able to kind of skate all the way through there without even that great of cards by just outplaying the fish. But boy, the fish start falling off quickly when you get towards the top 10%. So now a lot more of those fish who are still around will get paid. And they will take the money back into our poker games. And it will also help Caesars Corporation because they will take some of this money also to the pits or to the sports book and lose there. But some of it will make it back into the poker community because the extra people cashing $15,000 now are not necessarily winning poker players. A lot of them will chunk the money back off into our hands. So that's a good thing. And what are we losing? All we're really losing is... $2 million for the winner, which kind of sucks if you're the winner, but I don't think you're going to complain that much if you've just won $8 million. That's still a very large sum of money. It's still life-changing money for everybody except for someone who's super rich. And I I think probably along the way, people are getting a little bit less. But I'll tell you this. If 50th place is getting 142.5, I don't know what 50th was last year, but I know when I made 88th in 2010 which had a bigger field. 2010 had a 7,300-something player field. I was 88th, and I only got 80,000 bucks. So if 50th place is still getting 142.5, then that sounds in line or maybe even more than they got in uh, 2010 when they were not paying near 15% of the field. So I think it was just spread out in a smarter fashion. I think they realized that... uh, They're giving too much to the top few places. I think they realize that there's something to be said for the recreational player going home with money in his pocket and with the experience of cashing. See, let me tell you something. I can tell you from experience of three consecutive years of running very deep and walking home empty-handed. You play all these days and you come back with nothing. It is so demoralizing. It is so freaking demoralizing to play all those days and then you go out and have nothing. I went out on day one in 2014 and while I was frustrated, I was much less frustrated than I was in 2011, 12, and 13 when I made it so far and did not quite cash. Yet if I min-cashed, I wouldn't have walked out as frustrated. Not because I was shooting for a min-cash, but because at least I would feel like I got something for the effort and the time I put in. 
But when you walk out with nothing after all those days, whether you're a pro or whether you're a recreational player, it hurts. And I think for a recreational player, it hurts even more. So I think just the feeling of, oh, wow, I cashed in the main event is a good thing, even if you don't need the money. Even if you're a rich guy who doesn't need $15,000, it still feels good to cash in the main event and be given 15000 for playing in the biggest live poker tournament in the world. So this is a good thing they did. I'm glad they finally listened to the poker pros who are objecting here. And I'm glad they actually kind of followed to the letter of what people were suggesting. Pay a thousand spots and guarantee a million for ninth. I always thought it was weird too how ninth place, you make the final table, you you wait all this time. I shouldn't really say you. I should, uh, instead of saying you wait all this time, I should say Mark Newhouse waits all this time. <laughs> it's, I, I think it's pretty much set in stone now that uh, Mark Newhouse is always going to be ninth. But uh, you know, Mark Newhouse finishes ninth and gets seven hundred seventy thousand. That kind of sucks. That kind of sucks that you wait all that time between the regular main event and the final table in November, and you don't even get a million bucks with all those entrants. You make it to the final nine, and you only get seven seventy. So at least give them a cool million, and and they're doing that. So I I thought that was a foolish place to save money on those. Uh, first few final table spots, so they fixed that too. So they, they fixed the payout. They made it better. I, I'm very happy with the change. I think it's good for recreational players. I think they'll walk out happier. I think they'll come back the next year because uh, you'll have a lot more people coming back the next year that either uh, cashed the 15000 or came very close to it because now you have people that who are going to get close to cashing and not do it, and instead of seeing themselves like hundreds of spots away or thousands of spots away from cash, they're going to see a lot. They're going to see themselves a lot closer to cashing. They're going, to, oh wow, I came so close. Next year I'm coming back. Whereas in the same spot, paying ten percent, they feel like they were far off. So I don't see anything wrong with this. Uh, Bobby Orr asking me a good question. He's saying, do you know what day it was? in the World Series of Poker when a 1,000 people were left. And that is true. It's going to change from uh, day four, everyone cashing, to day three. I believe uh, it's day three when it goes down to, uh, or maybe early day four. You know what? I think it's early day four. I don't think that is going to change. I think you have to make early day four. I see the tide is staying in the chat. This is Marty. So I guess the radio show is now Todd running his yap nonstop about himself. Fucking fascinating. What a huge dick. (laughs) That's him saying that about me. LOL Todd, the master at critique at final table strategy. Fucking clown. I didn't say anything about final table strategy. What's he talking about? Alrighty, let's go to the next topic since uh, Tide does not approve. I think I, I got a PM from him the other day, like apologizing for trolling me for no reason, and then he's in my chat room trolling me for no reason. Never changes with that guy. Seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. Well, let's talk about Full House with Johnny Chan. Then I'll give uh, 
I'll give Ty a break. He won't have to hear me running my yap anymore. Instead, he'll have to hear the 2012 me and the 2012 Brandon running our yaps. So this was us describing the Full House with Johnny Chan show. Actually, not describing it. I already described it earlier. It's, uh, it's supposedly where Johnny Chan would stake five unknowns, 200,000 each, to play in poker games in his living room. And then I guess the viewer was supposed to get an opportunity to play with him, too. It, it never ended up coming to be. And I will play you the little teaser they had for it. And the segment we had on our show last year. Making fun of this teaser, basically. Johnny Chan, 10 WSOP bracelets. Doyle Brunson, 10 WSOP bracelets. 130 years of poker combined. The new era begins. Hi, I'm Johnny Chan. I am the most famous poker player in the world. <laughs> I think Phil Helmuth is going to have a problem with that. He's the most famous poker player in the world. Yeah. Kind of boisterous. I won 10 World Series poker bracelets. He won 10 World Series poker bracelets. Let's hear that again. That's where the English comes in. Okay. Let's hear that again. In the world, I won 10 World Series poker bracelets. John. Do they not know about editing here? Like, why not retake that scene? Like, this isn't live. Just have him re-say it. Say, uh, I won 10 World Series of poker bracelets. I guess they were just... I, I guess the genius there who produced this was intimidated by Johnny Chan and didn't want to mention that he said World Series of Poker wrong. Okay. Chan the Master, welcome to my mansion. This is where Vegas dream come true. This is where Vegas dream come true. Uh, but yeah, they just showed like a bunch of shots of his house, which looked very nice. Let me ask you something, Jeff. If you just had to set a line, like a Vegas line, like the guy from Cantor used to do before they hauled him off to jail this morning, on how many dreams have come true at Johnny Chan's mansion? What would you set the line at? <laughs> I'd say uh, zero point one. Okay, good line. I have five poker pros stay at my house, and I stick each one two hundred thousand dollars. So then they show these stacks of cash, and it says, good luck from Johnny. Like, they're, they're sitting on a bed, and then it says, good luck from Johnny on this little paper, like, sitting in front of the cash, as if, like, these are mints they're leaving on your pillow at a hotel. That's, yeah. Yeah. Like a signature event or something. Two of my players will enter a nine-hand poker game every night, and <laughs> you, the viewer, <laughs> are invited <laughs> to go up against them. So that's the gimmick here. Wait, what did he say? Two of <laughs> that wasn't even good English for that. What did he say about the two players? With... Let's go back here. I gotta hit this again. It wasn't good English. At my house, and I stick each one two hundred thousand dollars. Two of my players will enter a nine hand of poker game every my... night, and you, the viewer, are invited to go up against them. So, now, the, the poker game they show them playing, it looks like, first of all, they're playing with the cheapest chips that you can buy at the 99-cent-only store. And, like, on one of those fold-up poker tables, there's not even a real poker table in there. It's one of these fold-up tables you can get for, like, what, like 30 bucks, where you unfold it in your living room when you have a few few friends come over. 
and they're playing with chips that look like you get like a, a whole case of them for you know forty dollars. So already the whole production of this is is extremely cheap looking. And, this is and you're playing nine-handed. You're playing nine-handed for two hundred thousand dollars, but somehow the chips they couldn't spring like for a hundred bucks for a nice chip set. I don't get it. If a player loses all their money, they're eliminated from the show. They're replaced with a new poker pro. Now that's that's just Chico Loco you heard from there. That's a now they haven't introduced him yet, but uh, they show Chico Loco holding a beer, sitting on like a, a chair outside with his shirt off, and, and he's telling you the rules of this. They're going to have all five of these people, who are living in the house with Johnny, quickly tell you the rules before you learn who they are, all in kind of like very obviously staged poses, where they're supposed to be like outside having fun, on Johnny's property. It's about reality. Pro poker players' life and Vegas nightlife style. A poker player's life and Vegas nightlife style is that like Gangnam style? <laughs> <laughs> and Vegas nightlife style. That's actually the genius, aka the producer of this, talking about Vegas nightlife style. Maybe he's the one who talked uh, Johnny Chan how to talk. Maybe that's what's going on here. So, so here comes the the sort of hot chick in the in the film. Yeah, pro poker players' life and Vegas nightlife style. A poker player's life is about strategy, discipline, instinct, and most of all, risk. It isn't just about gambling. It's a skilled art. So they they share her telling you this from a pool with, you know, wearing a bikini and, uh, you know, kind of with her, her boobs hanging out. And that you're supposed to, that, that's supposed to be the hot chick of the show. And she gets out of the pool now. You get to watch her step out of the pool. Kind of slow motion pool shot. What they're setting up here is uh, one of the characters who's supposed to be the kind of they call him the playboy. This guy, they're showing a bunch of girls like all surrounding him that that are putting their hands all over him, supposedly at a party where everyone's dancing. The the whole thing looks really contrived. It's not a real party. They they got a bunch of people that are like paid extras or whatever to be in this, and, and they paid these girls to pretend they're like all into this guy. Like they, like they put a lot of effort into faking this whole thing, but it still came out terribly. Simon I can use being young and European to my advantage. Just because I'm young, they think of me as an aggressive bully. Playing unpredictably is very important in poker. I also drive my opponents crazy by putting them outside of their comfort zone. Now what's weird about that little introduction is they say that he's trying to get across that they think he's a crazy player because he's young and European. But then instead of showing him like beating one of the uh, opponents who over, you know, underestimates him and thinks that he plays trash, they show him losing to trash. They show him losing to four-deuce offsuit and getting all pissed off. You called me with that? What's your problem? So they're, they're showing him lose. That's the intro to Simon the Playboy. Do you like how they ha- – what did you think, Druff, uh, of the women – that uh, you know, right before the, while they were introducing the Playboy, yeah, they weren't yeah, very. A number of women, like a nightclub, they're all rubbing his chest. I mean, yeah, like he was. Well, and a lot of them weren't very attractive. In fact, no, one kind of, one kind of looks like no. a tranny. Yeah, yeah, they. they, they I they, thought they were mutts. I, I didn't. I mean, it, yeah, they could have well, done much I, I guess better they spent with that the as same, well. They spent the same on these women as they did on the poker chips. <laughs> <laughs> be even less. Okay, so here's the genius. Now the genius is an Asian guy. He's this Japanese guy named Jay. He also happens to be the producer, but they don't tell you that. I don't consider poker gambling. 
with better odds and better skills. It's more of a stealing candy from a child. I enjoy the game. I have fun at the table. But I always try to stay sharp and focused. Now, this J guy they show him, he has a ponytail. He's a Japanese guy. He has a ponytail. They show him getting in, like, a nice convertible car and wearing, like, a, a sport jacket and driving off. And he's already talking about, you know, stealing candy from a baby. And here comes one of the worst scenes. They actually show him supposedly playing poker against some, like, older white guy. And listen to this. Does it scare you? He's showing the ace of spades. Yes, does it scare you? They, they don't show the opponent yet. They're just showing him flash the ace of spades. No, I think you really have a broken draw. I call. Ace king. Ace high. That's right. I just pay my rent in euro, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I pay my rent in euro, baby. What does that even mean, though? He, he means he's like, playing he some like, older European... They're betting man. American currency... What kind of, like, line is that? It's dumb, but he's, like, trying to say he's playing some older European man. And, like, now I'm paying my rent in Euro, baby. Like, they very quickly show the guy now. Now, all the villains in this. All the, all but the wouldn't it make more sense if they're, like, was, like, they're playing Euro table stakes instead of having, like, bricks of $100 bills? Yeah, it would make more sense. But uh, so so yeah. would not playing with uh, 99 cent only store chips for, for hundreds of thousands of dollars and uh, on a fold-up poker table. And, uh, you know, all the villains in this are, like, these older white men who kind of look like schlumps. You know, like, they, like, these are all the young, cool guys making all the moves. And they have, like, these depressed-looking older white men that they quickly show just getting their ass beat against these top poker pros. But I, I, I love this whole thing. And Now, keep in mind, this guy cast himself in this role and wrote his own dialogue here. So th- this is pretty arrogant. It's, it's one thing to write a terrible thing like this and cast other actors, but to cast yourself in the part of the genius and, and have this whole dialogue for yourself, it's pretty bad. Does it scare you? No, I think you really have a broken draw. I call. Ace king. Ace high. That's right. I pay my rent in euro, baby. <laughs> hey, guys. Have you seen Esteban? Did you even check if his truck was here? So now, now here comes a little bit of a... Uh... This is a guy you aspire to be, Druff. Yeah. This is El Chico Loco. This is Chico Loco. Now, they, this is uh, like a little drama here starting in the house. They're all playing pool. They're trying to find where Esteban is. We don't know who he is yet. We're going to learn. He's sleeping in a, the back of a pickup truck. Esteban Poker's Chico Loco. You know what I'm saying? Waiting for your chance. Waiting for your hand. Until that hand comes to you, try to relax. Try to enjoy. And try to have fun. Call. Yeah, he's, he has a lot of fun. Now, let's also commentate on El Chico. I'm not even watching the video. I've only seen it once, but for some reason it's stuck in my brain. Let's comment on a woman that was sweating El Chico well, Loco in the hand. That. He, he, okay. he does have a lot of fun, I think, because I, I think it's a tranny that he's with. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, if you look at like three three minute mark in the video where Chico Loco's being introduced, uh, he kisses a woman sitting next to him that, that looks kind of like a dude. <laughs> so, so he probably does have a lot of fun, just... Uh, you know, not in the way a lot of us would want to, but uh, he does have some fun. Ship it! Ship it! <laughs> Woo! 
Do you think we've encountered even one likable character yet? Or even no, a, no. Or no. even a believable character? Like, do you think, no, yeah. no, no. I, I love the women in this. Like, like, why get one that looks like a tranny and these ugly girls with the, uh, you know... The, they keep the, showing the, the Queen of Hearts her ass, like, at the pool. It's it's, it's not even a nice ass. It's... <laughs> it's, it's I, I don't... I mean, now, you know what? Out of anything else, like, if you're going to make anything work, especially to, like, an older male audience, you have to cast, like, a hot chick. Well, and, Like, a really and, hot chick. And I don't understand, uh, you know, I, even the Iceman can get this right. Even the Iceman gets attractive girls to be the Ice Girls. Like, why couldn't they do that right here? Why they, there yeah. weren't that many girls. They didn't need like a thousand really hot chicks. They just needed a few of them. They couldn't even get that right. So, so you know, in other news, uh, by the way, just not that you know. I guess it's going to come out pretty soon. Um, to call, I guess it's kind of like a similar version of Full House, but Iceman's going to be recruiting people in the inner city, in the inner cities for a uh, reality show, and it's going to be called Section Eight House. So uh, look for that. I guess he says it's coming sometime around Christmas, stuff. So. <laughs> We'll see. So now, speaking of hot chicks, we're going to meet the hot chick of the show, Ugh. the Queen of Hearts. She, she has a little bit uh, too many tattoos for my taste, first yeah. of all. But I don't know. You eliminate the tattoo, she's still a mutt. Yeah. So she's, she's playing pool here. show where you're like waking up in bed next to I think the Playboy like this you're supposed to think oh my god did they do it did the Playboy and then and the Queen of Hearts did, did they get it on? I, I gotta watch the next episode oh my god what a pretty <laughs> but now, so now here's a slow motion shot of her coming out of the pool <laughs> Malia having the Queen something of Hearts. that other players don't have can be a unique weapon at the poker table emotional effect can really put someone off the game if you play your cards right being a female poker player gives me that unique advantage So now we're past the Queen of Hearts. Here comes arguably the stupidest part of the video. It's hard to say what's the dumbest part here, but there are two people laying out by the pool. One of them is Malia, the Queen of Hearts, you know, getting a tan. The other one is some guy we have not met yet. And then we see the three guys. The other three guys. You know, not remember, there's four guys, one girl here. So we have the other three, the ones we've met, picking up the one we haven't met, who's in a laying on a, a chaise lounge outside. They pick him up, and... They throw his ass in the pool. Now, uh, Brandon, without knowing anything further, just knowing that if, if this is real, and you have the three guys like picking up a dude while he's laying out and throwing him in the pool, would, would you think that he's kind of like the butt of the jokes, like the guy that they make fun of and kind of torture and screw with all the time? Would, wouldn't that be the impression you get? Yeah, I would, I would think he'd be like the, maybe called the wimp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or Mr. Or Mr. Passive would be his nickname. Or Mr. Non-Confrontational. Okay. And, and all, he, all he did when they picked him up, he's like, no, 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 no. It's like, you know, it's like the of... guy from Office Space, like, he's just muttering, I want my stapler back, please. You know, remember that guy? Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> so so they threw him in the pool. All he could do about it is go, no, 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 no. But what is he categorized on this this platinum hit uh, reality show, Druff. This uh, very tough gentleman is the bully. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They throw, they show him being thrown in the pool by the other three guys, and he's the bully, even though he's getting bullied. He's I'm gonna kill you guys. Oh, that. Sorry, that's 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 him being tough. I'm going to kill you guys. They battle, and I do everything to win my battle. He does everything to win his battles. Now, keep in mind, he's playing against two like 
50-year-old white guys. So we know who's going to win. The, the 50-year-old white guys in this production are kind of like the red guys in Star Trek. Like anyone wearing a red suit in Star Trek is kind of like the 50-year-old white guys here. You know they're going to lose. You know they're, it's not going to be a happy ending for those guys. With so many wannabes and posers at the poker table, anything can happen. All right, I'm all in. It's a minefield, and anyone can get on a roll at any time. However, I like my chances. I got two pairs. Every night. Queens and two more queens. Give the old man's money. Come on, ship it. Hurry up. The old man's money, ship it. So, so he slow rolls the poor old man there, where, where the old man shows pocket aces for, for what's supposed to be top set full. And he says, oh, that's too bad. I got two pair. Queens and two more queens. And <laughs> so, uh, by the way, this game was not taking place on a fold-up poker table. J- Johnny Chan actually had them play on something a lot more expensive. You know what that is? I have no idea. His dining room table. Mm. <laughs> so they, they moved up. They, no more wow. fold-up poker table. This is the big tournament where you, you break out the dining room table. And again, oddly enough, Doyle, other than his cameo in the beginning, walking into the match with a crutch is not seen again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We still don't know his purpose in this whole thing, other than to you know, walk with a crutch at the beginning with Johnny Chan and say, I'm Doyle Brumson. I, I didn't know why I'm here, but Johnny told me to come and Another pool game. Another pool game. Oh, here's the bully throwing a football. That must mean he's a tough guy. It seems like it's almost like a house full of alcoholics. They're all, like, drinking. Yeah. Oh, someone went in the pool. Oh, Chico Loco got pushed in the pool. You better watch out. He's going he's gonna to cap your ass for that shit. <laughs> That's the last guy I'd push in the pool, man. He's going he's gonna to get me in a drive-by if I do that. Yeah. He'll fuck with Chico Loco, I say. From uh, Rancho Cucamonga, from what I heard. <laughs> it's good. Hey, man, you fucking, you gonna fuck with Chico Loco, Holmes? Where you from, Holmes? <laughs> oh, and some more drama. Uh, the Queen of Hearts tried to pull Chico Loco out of the pool. <laughs> he got pushed in himself. That's, uh, okay, that's, now they're in a car together. The four guys, we don't know where the Queen of Hearts is. She's, uh, she's not present here. I'm gonna guess she's probably with uh, the Playboy. No, no, but he's in the car. Oh, she's, is he? Maybe okay. she's with Doyle. Yeah, so that's a that's switch scenes from another exciting pool scene to the. Jonathan, by the way, in all these I've known, I've never seen you do a gangster Mexican accent. I was actually kind of impressed. Oh, that's pretty decent. That can give us unlimited possibilities now in the future. So they're telling they're telling the driver who's the bully who I guess is now getting along with them again. He's, he's, As they're driving at like noon down Las Vegas Boulevard, yeah, going this going maybe five miles under the speed limit. Yeah, it looks like they're, the doing, they're going really slow, and they're like, they're like if anything, they're going to be pulled over for going too slow. <laughs> so, so they're not him. keeping up with the flow of traffic on Las Vegas Boulevard, <laughs> and he shouts out, "Fuck the police!" Yeah. And, and uh, so they tell they tell him he's like, "Oh, I see it, I see it." And then and then the Playboy, actually, no, sorry, it's Chico Loco who says it. Sorry, the Playboy's not guilty. The, the Chico Loco says, "Fuck the police." But it's... all right, so yeah, fuck the police says Chico Loco, and I'll, I'll stop here. We're almost toward the end of it anyway. But uh, I, I, some people in the chat room are unhappy with living the past so much. They they want to move forward into the present. They're unhappy that we've. Uh, Spent so much time here. I mean, it gave me a nice break. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being able to just relax and listen to myself talk instead of actually having to talk. It was fun. But okay. That was, you get the idea of what that was. It went nowhere. It went absolutely nowhere. Uh, the 
producer who cast himself as the genius in that show showed up on 2 Plus 2 at one point and tried to defend it, saying, oh, this is a sizzle reel, you don't understand. This is uh, you know, something we use to pitch to the network. We, are, we already have two different networks who are willing to carry this. And then he kind of vanished. And this went nowhere. So... People forgot about it. It's been two and a half years. Everyone laughed at it. This was the laughing stock of the poker community, but it it went nowhere. It only got any attention because Johnny Chan and Doyle Brunson were involved. Now, funny enough, Doyle Brunson apparently was in it without even realizing he was in it. He he just showed up and they said, hey, we're we're filming this pilot. Will you be in the beginning of it? So he said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. What what, what do you want me to do? He, He didn't. He didn't even want to know what it was. And then when it came out, he was embarrassed. I, I think Johnny Chan may have even been embarrassed after this came out. But whatever it was, it never went anywhere. Uh, now, the detectives on our site are very good. They're, they're good at getting to the bottom of things. And apparently, uh, something was found that proves that the entire full house with Johnny Chan was... A complete and utter phony. I know you're shocked. I know you cannot believe that uh, Full House of Johnny Chan was not real. But they hired actors. There is a company called AMAC Placement located in Southern California. And they put out a call, a casting call for Full House with Johnny Chan where they were asking for a, quote, young Asian male, smart, serious, wants to learn and win. I guess that's what, uh, I guess he cast himself in that one. An NSYNC type guy, that's, that's like the group NSYNC, NSYNC type guy, handsome, plays as hard as he parties, all the girls love him. So I guess that's supposed to be the, uh, the playboy. Snooky type blonde but sexier and with more class, spends her winnings on shopping. I guess that's the queen of hearts, even though she wasn't blonde. Uh, Japanese female, quiet, shy, all the guys break, try to break her composure. That didn't really happen. And then, of course, Chico Loco, macho Latin jock, tough ladies' man, works out every day. So the, then it said, uh, show will be 30 minutes per episode for 10 episodes. We have a contract with Korea HD, a network in South Korea. We have a contract with PPTV in China, which is the largest TV channel in China with an average of 300 million viewers per day. They, they claim they had a contract with PPTV. Oh, he's a PPTV. We have a contract. Oh, we make a PP in your coke on the PPTV. <laughs> I, I, I find that hard to believe. But they, they said our contract with PPTV allows us to have one 30-second 30 30 commercial play in China, the biggest market in the world. Should a brand be interested as long as we produce it? No bans on any product approved by production. So that's really weird. I wonder what happened to these contracts they had with uh, South Korea and China. Unless it was sort of a thing like where they buy time on there or maybe, uh, maybe they didn't meet some part of the contract. I don't know what happened. I mean, talk about throwing away money if you really had contracts with these uh, big TV networks abroad and then you don't produce the show. But uh, that's what they claim. So this never went anywhere. They never made it as far as I know. Maybe the whole thing aired over there in China, but I don't think so. So this was found by one of our users. Seriously, Sirius actually found it. 
But that, again, is in the past. What about the present? Well, in the present, they have decided to repackage it. I don't know why two and a half years later they're repackaging it, but uh, Jay Ishimaru, the guy behind Full House with Johnny Chan, is now releasing Full House Las Vegas. And very, very similar concept, except different characters and missing Johnny Chan. Some people would consider poker gambling, but I think differently. There's a reason the same people win year in and year out. It's because poker is a game of skill. Over 640,000 people consider themselves to be professional poker players, along with a lot of aspiring young talent. I would like to give them an opportunity. Hi, I'm David Randall. I have advertised to recruit five talents using my blog and social media. Okay, so David Randall, you may have heard of him. David Randall is now involved. He's kind of the new Johnny Chan here, and he's a poker coach. You can find him. You can look at his Twitter, in fact. Uh, if you uh, go to twitter.com slash dbtrandall, dbtrandall, and you can, you can look at his Twitter account where he describes himself as a professional poker player, 3D training co-founder, poker coach, Eat24 brand ambassador, and Pocket Fives instructor. So this is a guy who wants you to take him seriously as a poker coach. And he is now doing this. Now, listen to what David Randall is doing. It's a little bit of a different twist. It's basically the same thing, but it's David Randall doing it. And uh, he claims he's recruiting players on his social media, his Twitter he's showing a picture of in this video. We had a lot of interest, but unfortunately, I was only allowed to select five. Requirements were a young talent with a poker background. I wanted to see my players grow by the day and contribute to the team, so personality was an important factor. Potential is the right word. A combination of a strong poker background coupled with a unique character. And I got my five. So first of all, they were reusing a lot of footage from the original video in the video part of it, in the background of David talking. You obviously can't see that on the radio, but uh, they reused a lot of the footage. So a lot of these young players that they claimed they were looking at were actually the players who were in Full House with Johnny Chan that they're reusing here. So they reused a lot of the old footage. But you could say, okay, no big deal. So they're just uh, using that for the video production. But they're not choosing the same people, so I guess it's still sort of legit. Now they're showing them come into the house one by one. And the first person coming in the house is a, a hot chick type. Hey, I'm Jennifer Marconi. I'm from Rhode Island, small town girl. Poker's my passion. I'm Rudy Boyd. I'm from- well, hold on. Before we get to Rudy Boyd, uh, Jennifer Marconi is the first one who came in. Here's Rudy Boyd. That's R-O-O-T-I-E Boyd. Rudy. Have you ever heard a name like Rudy before? It kind of reminds me of Rota Ruder. <laughs> not not Rudy, not R-U-D-Y Boyd, not even R-U-D-I Boyd. This is R-O-O-T-I-E, Rudy Boyd. I think he's supposed to be like a poor man Dutch Boyd because uh, Dutch Boyd's real name is Russ. So there's Russ Boyd, now we have Rudy Boyd. But guess what? These are all their real names. There is a real Rudy Boyd, and it's him. And there is a real Jennifer Marconi, and that's the girl they showed here. They're using their real names here. 
But you're telling me you haven't heard of Rudy Boyd, the great poker player, before? There's a reason why. Los Angeles, California. I've been playing poker eight years, and I really hope someone can finally give me the challenge I need. My name is... So Rudy, he's looking for a challenge. Nobody in L.A., you know, there's no good poker players anywhere in L.A. It's very hard to find a, a tough poker game running in L.A. <laughs> no good players around that town. Rudy is hoping you can finally give him the challenge he's been waiting for after eight years in L.A. Christina Parks, and I've been playing poker for five years, and I'm really here just to show these guys how to play real poker. Mm. My name's Dustin. Well, before we get to Dustin, no, not Dustin Wolf. Uh, <laughs> so she wants to show these boys how to play poker. She's just mainly here to show them that. Sassy. It's an issue, and I uh, started playing poker when I was 16. Uh, I'm actually really excited to be a part of this house. <laughs> Now, two people come in, a, a guy carrying a girl on his back. You can tell they're the wild ones. What's up, guys? Yo! My name is Maria, and this is my man, Marcos. And Marcos. Maria sitting on Marcos. And Marcos, he, he has a Hispanic look to him, but uh, kind of, I guess. But uh, no, not really. He's supposed to be. But uh, the girl, she's supposed to be Maria, but she, does, she looks European to me. We're here to have some fun. So then they're showing, like, the picture of each of these players, like a modeling shot with their name and what their character is. So it says, Jennifer Marconi, Ms. ABC Poker. Rudy Boyd the Shark. Wait, you haven't heard of Rudy Boyd? He's a shark. He's an L.A. shark. Christina Parks the Knit. Dustin Benichu the Maniac. And Marcos Rivera, the calling station. And then there's uh, Maria Ivanova. Full House Las Vegas. And that's it. It's not as long as the other one. It's a two-minute trailer. So, uh, being the curious chap that I am, I decided to look up who these people are. I was especially curious about Rudy Boyd, because I, I guess he talked a good game. I, I kind of believed him for a second. I'm like, what, well, is he like one of these... No limit cash players, like a ten twenty player from Commerce that I just haven't heard of because I don't play that game. I, I thought maybe it's something like that. So I looked up Rudy Boyd. Here's the first one I looked up, and guess what? Rudy Boyd has zero poker results. There is nothing anywhere on the web about Rudy Boyd ever, ever, ever being a poker player. But guess what? There is plenty about Rudy Boyd being an actor. <laughs> Yes, Rudy Boyd is an actor. That's what his profession is. He's a professional actor. So are these other four. They are all actors and actresses. So they hired actors for this to pretend to be poker players. And you say, okay, what's the big deal? Reality television is fake. Newsflash, you know, that's not, that's not a big thing. That's not something we didn't realize before this. But here's the problem I have. David Randall, who positions himself as this respected poker coach, goes on his social media, says, hey, we're looking to recruit someone to be staked by me in this big poker game, this big private poker game, and it was all a sham. They staked five actors who aren't even really being staked. The whole thing is phony, and there aren't even any real players there. So the whole thing is fake. The whole contest to be on this show was fake. They were going to hire actors the whole time. I'm sure they had one of these casting calls again. So I tweeted plenty to this uh, 
David Randall, and of course he didn't answer me. But uh, they, uh, this was found, by the way, uh, on Indiegogo. It says, new poker reality TV series. We just finished shooting the pilot episode and need your help to complete season one. So uh, this is one of these uh, crowdfunding things. They actually posted this themselves. They actually posted this on 2 Plus 2, but it was deleted as spam. And our very own Kev Math came and uh, posted a copy of it over on Poker Fraud Alert. Where we will not delete it as spam. But you can, you can donate them $25 for the ace high level. <laughs> where you don't get any perks. But they just thank you for support. One person did that. You can donate $50 for the pair level. Where you don't care about perks, but you get production updates and special behind-the-scenes info. Nobody did that. $200, two pairs is the level they call it. Get all production updates, special behind-the-scenes info, plus an autographed picture by a cast member of your choice. Wow, I could get an autographed picture by Rudy Boyd. Wow. One person actually did this. It's probably uh, Rudy Boyd's mom. Uh, Then... uh, $500, three of a kind, an invitation to audition for a free poker seat to play against our cast during filming. I don't think it'd be pretty tough. I don't think it'd be very tough to play against this cast. They've probably never played a poker hand in their lives. $1,000, the straight level, an invitation to an on-set filmed party in our poker mansion. Meet the cast and get your face in front of the camera. Nobody's done that. $2,500, the flesh level. Uh, You get to be at the party, the onset film party in the Poker Mansion, plus a guest. <laughs> and a VIP invitation to attend the premiere showcase party of the first episode. <laughs> and for $5,000 full house, you get to be an associate producer in a verified IMDB entry. They already have an IMDB entry for this thing. And a Skype session with a cast member of your choice. I wonder if it can be like an obscene Skype session. Like, can you pick one of the hot chicks in it and have the Skype session where you just... Skype your penis to her To where you're you're spanking the monkey On Skype with her She doesn't see your face She just sees your dick on the camera Would this be acceptable? I guess for 5,000 You could probably get a lot more than that $7,500 And by the way, nobody did that $7,500, four of a kind You get product placement You could put your product on the show Wow $10,000, you can be a co-producer And a verified IMDB entry And then some of the other stuff. And you get to have dinner with a cast member. Wow. And they pay for your dinner expenses. The funny thing is they put zero out of 20 claimed. Like they really thought there was a chance they'd get 20 people donating uh, (laughs) $20,000. And of course the $25,000 level, zero out of 10 claimed. Get all of the above perks plus credit as executive producer, on-set visitation upon request, and finally a casting pick for season two. So I guess you get to choose one of these actors for season two that, of course, uh, is going to happen for sure. That's a good use of your money. So they've only made a pilot. They say, we need your help to complete the series. We've had requests for a completed first season, not just from the U.S., but also from China and Korea. There we go with China and Korea again. So this, all, I, this is getting worse now because now they're asking for money. I think the first time they probably bamboozled Johnny Chan into bankrolling it, or maybe someone Johnny knew bankrolled this. They obviously had some money in the first one to hire all these extras and everything else they did, and hiring a a casting company. But this one looks like it's a lower-budget effort, and now they're going to crowdfunding. 
and just about nobody has donated to this thing. They've gotten $125 so far. That's all. So uh, I don't think you can expect to see this show near you, but if you see David Randall at the tables, make sure to mention this to him. Ask him why he had a phony contest to be on this show, a phony contest to get staked to play on this show, when in reality they're just hiring actors and playing with fake money. That is something you should ask of David Randall. So, the chat is saying, let's see, next topic, move on, Druff. Jeez, you guys are so impatient. See, Forum Wars, he was good. He looked up uh, Rudy Boyd while we were talking here. And, uh, yeah, PLOL laughed at how he said 640,000 people claim that they're poker pros. (laughs) Come on. 640,000 poker pros? Where? I don't think you could even find 640,000 active poker players in the world, people who play poker actively. I don't think there's 640,000 people that fit that. I don't, but definitely not 640,000 pros. I don't mean 640,000 that have ever played poker. I mean 640,000 regular poker players today in 2015. I don't think you can find that. (laughs) 640,000 pros. Where did he get that number? Did he just pull it out of his ass? It sounds like it. I have a feeling that he pulled that 640,000 number out from the odds of flopping a royal. Because I believe flopping a royal is around 1 in 640,000. So he probably just said, ah, oh, that sounds like a big number. I'll use that. All right, I'll move on like certain people in the chat want me to. I should just like not read the chat. You guys get me down sometimes. You guys, like I'm, I'm having a good time with the segment, and then you guys are like, move on. I don't want this anymore. I'm bored. And then I feel pressured. I, I feel the peer pressure to move on. I should just, like, not read it. This is why people who do recorded podcasts that are not live have it so much easier. They don't have to deal with a chat room, with the critics in the audience, with people telling me uh, I'm uh, what is it, a self-centered asshole or whatever uh, Tide said to me. They don't get that. They just uh, they make the podcast, they release it on iTunes and Stitcher, and they're done with it. I'm starting to understand now the appeal in that. Okay, so yeah, PLOL says, talk about the gay New Year's Eve party you attended. I didn't attend a gay New Year's Eve party. I've never been to that. But uh, uh, I think I've told this before on the show. But uh, yeah, people are texting me. What do they have to say here? Oof. A lot of texts coming through, but not about this show. Oh, we do have one from the show. From the 404 area code, Dr. Pockles should invest in some hair plugs. That comb-over is fooling no one. That's about Marty, Tide. So uh, we have audience members bashing each other. All right, so... You guys interrupted my train of thought here. What was I even saying? Oh, the gay New Year's Eve party. Okay, I didn't attend a gay New Year's Eve party. But... uh, I did attend a gay party in Atlantic City two years ago, two and a half years ago. Uh, this is what happened. 
Uh, we were walking around the Atlantic City boardwalk, and we were a little bit disappointed that there is no easy place to go count on it. Like, I wouldn't say a pier, but a pier would have worked too. It's a, just something that um, you can go out and get a good look at the water in the whole area. Like, yes, there's a pier, but it's kind of hard to stand in a good spot there. I, we were kind of looking for somewhere along the war, the water. You stand on kind of a, a balcony or whatever, and you can look out at the water and the entire Atlantic City boardwalk area. We were having a hard time finding that. Well, finally, we located one restaurant, I don't remember the name of it, that looked like it fit the bill. And what we were going to do is just walk in there. And just it was not a formal restaurant, so we were just going to walk in there, walk toward the area where the view is and uh, stand there for a little bit, take a few pictures with Benjamin, who was about two years old at the time, and be done with it and leave. So we go in there, and we do this, and we see a party's going on. And we just kind of think, okay, we, we hope the party doesn't really notice us. But uh, again, it didn't look like a formal party, and we, we figured, hey, no problem. So we're in there, and we start to notice that the people at this party look a little bit odd. Uh, there were a number of drag queens there, which we noticed fairly quickly. Then there were a lot of normal women, you know, who are not drag queens, but uh, they were not very attractive, to be honest. Uh, these women were kind of, you know, some of them just were kind of on the ugly side or on the uh, very, very, very plain Janish side, and uh, some of the other ones were kind of manly looking and. We still didn't put it together. Then we looked again, and we noticed a number of effeminate-looking guys. And then it made sense. Then it made sense. It turned out we were at a gay pride party. We were at a gay pride party in Atlantic City. Me, Benjamin, and Benjamin's mom. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you, they were perplexed over there. They, they had no idea what was going on. Like, why a guy a girl and a baby were there at a gay party. Like, why Why would a heterosexual couple and a baby be at a gay party? Unless they thought that Ben's mom was a very, very convincing-looking tranny. So uh, we ended up talking to someone saying, hey, what is this party here? And you know, one of the lesbians there told us that this was actually a gay pride Atlantic City party. And uh, we said, oh, okay. <laughs> So we stayed there for like five or ten more minutes And uh, then we left So uh, we thought that would be interesting interesting thing to tell Benjamin one day That when he was two years old That he attended a gay pride party I bet uh, not many two-year-olds of straight parents can say that Tilted Stone in chat is saying that it was Druff's coming out party Alright, that's it That's I'm, I'm ejecting someone from the chat I'm ejecting someone from the chat Too much, uh, too much negativity. Too much uh, down talking in the chat. I can, I can take criticism, but everything is a, uh, everything's just uh, an opportunity to rip on me for Tide. So I had to get rid of him. He's gone. So yeah, uh, Ben, probably one of the youngest kids of straight people to ever be at a gay party. And PLOL, who's gay himself, uh, was fascinated by this story and said, "I have to tell it on radio." I told him this uh, in a Facebook chat the other day. <laughs> I'm sure the chat's going to slow down a bit Now that a certain person's gone So um, By the way If you want to go in the chat room You're welcome to be yourself You're welcome to criticize segments you don't like If you're just going to rip on me the whole 
the whole show just for the purpose of ripping on me, then then I have to get rid of you because that's not adding to anything. Right, so let's go to the. Uh, are we done with this topic about uh, Chico Loco and the, the Full House? Yeah, I guess we are. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on to David Skolansky and his Twitch. Not his nervous Twitch, but his Twitch TV appearances. Uh, Twitch TV is kind of like a a live webcasting website where you can, if you have a webcam, basically you can do your own webcam broadcast. And it's gotten fairly popular recently. Uh, it caught the attention of the poker community when a guy named Sticky Rice won on Bovada won 40000 through pretty much a fluke and then proceeded to chunk off all the money. This was a recreational player with a very crazy and wild play style that uh, ran up 40 k on Bovada and chunked it off while everyone watched over a period of a few weeks. So that got a lot of attention. And now David Skolansky, who was probably influenced by seeing what Sticky Rice did, because they discussed it a lot on 2 Plus 2, David Skolansky has been playing on Twitch, and he's been broadcasting his tournament play, and he's been broadcasting his cash play, and uh, supposedly he's just doing this because Mason Malmuth asked him to do it. But he does this broadcasting, and then he disappears. Now, some of you remember that David Skolansky, there's a big controversy with him seven years ago when it was revealed that he lives with a... uh, a girl named Sue, who I guess was the product of inbreeding and has some both mental and uh, physical handicaps as a result of that. And I'm not going to rip on Sue. You know, if, if someone's born into that situation and they have some problems, uh, you know, you can't bash them or insult them for that. It's not their fault. It's like uh, it's never anyone's fault for having any kind of uh, birth defect. So I don't. I'm not going to fault Sue or make fun of her at all, but uh, David Skolansky, and Sue is much, much, much younger than him. Skolansky is uh, approaching 70, and uh, Sue is, at the time, she was in her early 20s. I guess now she's approaching 30. But uh, I think Skolansky brought Sue in before she was even 18. And even she was 18. You know, he's just so much older than her. And, and it's not, this isn't even like an 18-year-old who is... Uh, just a, a regular average 18-year-old. This is an 18-year-old with physical and uh, mental handicaps who obviously is is being taken advantage by him. And we've talked about this before on other shows. And uh, the poker community was pretty disgusted when they found out about all this. And the only reason David Skolansky revealed it, he kept the secret for many years, but the only reason he revealed it was because uh, someone else was threatening to reveal this when uh, they got into their own issue with David. So to beat them to the punch, he revealed it first. Anyway, I I guess people have seen Sue in the background, so she's still in the picture seven years later. And, uh, but he's been broadcasting his play on Twitch TV. And, you know, David Skolansky wrote some pretty well-respected books in the 80s and 90s and even the 2000s. Uh, at a time before the poker boom took place, at a time when there were not many quality poker books out there. Uh, The Limit Hold'em book that I got after reading and getting too advanced for Lee Jones' 
hold them for low-limit players, which is a good starting point, but it's not a good book to learn how to beat games above like $3, $6. I bought his, you know, David Solansky's Limit Texas Hold'em for Advanced Players. And that was considered a very influential and important textbook for those who want to learn how to beat mid-limit Hold'em games, like 30, 60, 40, 80 type games. So he sold a lot of those books. He he wrote a lot of other books, even ones about sports betting and about other things. He he really covered a lot of different gambling topics. He wrote one about general gambling called Getting the Best of It. And these books were successful. People respected him. People liked him. And uh, I guess uh, David Skolansky's sexual perversions harmed his reputation starting about seven years ago. But uh, prior to that, he was well-respected. But something that was not questioned about David Skolansky at the time was his poker play. People said about Skolansky, hey, you know, he may be a pervert, he may be a weirdo, he may be a freak and a weird dude, but at least he's a good poker player, and, and he wrote some good books. But as the years wore on, and as the poker play got tougher, and as a lot of the strategies that he outlined in his books became sort of obsolete in today's games... Um, you would think that maybe Skolansky himself, being someone who is considered a good poker player, would have adapted to where even if the text in his books is old and obsolete, that his game itself has adapted. But apparently not. Now, you cannot always play your A game when uh, you are playing a tournament, a cash game, It's one thing to have all the proper concepts down. It's another thing to actually execute those concepts when under pressure, when it's your money at stake, when you only have a limited amount of time to make a decision. And like, for example, at the 2014 main event, I didn't play well. That's the only way to put it. I got in a lot of tough spots, more than one would usually get in in the first day of the main event. But uh, the ones I did get into, I did not play very well. I made a lot of mistakes that normally I wouldn't have made. And in fact, in previous years, I played a lot better than I played in 2004 in the main event. I just uh, I just didn't play well. I just uh, didn't have it that day. Whereas in uh, 2011, 2010, uh, I, I played really well. 11, I didn't cash, but I was very proud of how I played. Didn't make mistakes. 2010, I didn't make mistakes. When I say didn't make mistakes, I don't mean I played perfectly. I meant in the hands I got involved in, I didn't make any kind of egregious mistake. And in fact, I I thought of a number of good things I did that not everyone would have done. But in in 14, I didn't play well. So sometimes you'll have a bad day and just not play well. So I I keep that in mind here when discussing Skolansky. But there's just too many plays people saw that are indicative that he really uh, isn't understanding the proper way to play. Uh, in uh, it's just not a proper way to play in, in today's games. Interestingly enough, uh, seriously, serious was apparently a moderator of the Twitch stream of Skolansky's. I don't know how he managed that, but uh, he actually banned one step for ten minutes. I don't know why he would ever do that. Why would you ban one step? Seriously, serious, you you killed the. Ability to uh, for, for some lulls for us for sure I, I think it was like a 10 minute ban but still uh, I guess if you go in there and bash David Or make jokes about him He bans you Which I guess is hypocritical for me to complain about Since I just banned Tide But I, I don't ban people for just making occasional you know, Insults or, or 
you know, negative references towards me. I, I only ban people who just sit there constantly ripping on me in the chat room. But uh, I guess Galansky bans you pretty fast if you say anything bad. But he, here's uh, a description from someone watching in uh, our forum. They wrote, it's tournament time machine circa 2005. ABC tight passive. His thought process lacks any depth. He limps to the bubble with a small stack and wins some, some flips. Zero entertainment value. So uh, that was one of the things. Here's another one. Beer and Poker wrote, uh, he limped with KK in a full ring 1-2 no limit game. <laughs> and he did it from middle position after two others had already limped. Doing it in hopes that someone else would raise after him pre-flop. Now, that's that's a ridiculous play. It's one thing to limp openly, to open limp in the middle position with kings, hoping someone will isolate you, and then you can come back over the top on them. But here, he's entering after two limpers already came in in a cash game. Now, I don't know how many of you have played one, two low-limit cash games, but those have a lot of limping. So typically, it's like limp, 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 and then all the way around limps, and then they see a flop. You do not see a lot of isolation-type raising in those situations after there are already a few limpers at a 1-2 no-limit cash game. Usually, once there's a few limpers, it stays as limpers unless someone really has a premium hand. So if, if uh, Skolansky got lucky and someone behind him had queens, then sure. But, but still, if he raised, they would have re-raised him anyway. So he limped. He limped with kings after two limpers in a 1-2 game. That shows you how clueless he is. Uh, here's another report about his limping. Is in the tournament. Two limpers, and he completes pocket jacks from the small blind. <laughs> that's that's even worse. He completed pocket jacks from the small blind with two limpers already. Now, the big blind is not likely to squeeze there. It could happen, I guess, if it's a really aggressive player in the big blind. But other than that, it's, it's, uh, it's not good. <laughs> other than that, you're really inviting trouble. Because now you're up against three hands where they could have any two cards, especially the big blind can literally have any two, and the other two can have a very wide range of hands, so it's very hard to put your opponent on a hand. And uh, there's hardly any money in the pot already, so if they don't have much, they're going to fold. And if they do have something, there's a fair chance they have you beat, and it's going to be hard to tell whether they just have top pair worse than you. Like, what if the board comes uh, 10-7-4? What do you do with pocket jacks there? You don't know, because someone can easily have 10-7 and 7-4. There's so many things they could have there. 10-4, you, you don't know. You don't know if if you get raised, if you're up against uh, just a pair of 10s, or if you're up against two pair or better. You can't tell, because you're just completing for the small blind. So you're not pumping up the pop pre-flop when you have a big edge. And then uh, on the flop, you're only going to get paid a uh, good chance if you're beat. So that's a, a big, bad mistake there he made. Bad mistake just in hopes probably someone will come over the top from big blind. So, you know, I'm not going to do a whole poker strategy session here, but uh, people watching here uh, just seem to notice that uh, he didn't seem to really know what he was doing as far as playing in modern poker games. And uh, they said after he busts from these tournaments, someone wrote, I restarted my stream of his just after he exited maybe 13th for $333 with absolutely no regard for his audience he just pulls the plug. 
No tournament wrap-up. No thank you for tuning in. Any further broadcast from this guy is just an exercise in ego and should be mocked, this person said. That was a Sanilmar said that from the forum. Uh, which is a good point. I, if you think about this show, I always say at the end that I appreciate the audience here, and I'm not jerking, just jerking you guys off. I'm, I'm telling you guys the truth. I appreciate having an audience, both live and, uh, and the ones that catch it in the archives. I do thank everyone for tuning in, and I really mean that. But he just turns it off. He busts in the tournament, just poof, gone. And this is not someone who needs the money. You know, he busts 13 for 300 bucks. If you really need the money and we're hoping for the four-figure payout or whatever there is for first place, I can understand being really frustrated and not wanting to talk. But this is a guy who has a lot of money, doesn't need the money from these small tournaments he's playing. And to just shut the thing down without a word being said when he busts is, uh, it really is, no regard for the audience. And I, I guess he did say at one point that the only reason he's doing the show is that Mason asked him to. So uh, another description this is from Daredevil, the permanent guest co-host here. He said, uh, playing so tight it was nuts. And, uh, oh, this is another good one. He folded pocket sixes openly in the cutoff when he had 32 big blinds and nobody limping or raising in front of him. So it's fold, 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 fold to him. He's in the cutoff with sixes and he folds it. (laughs) He said, I'm folding here because this hand can't stand a re-raise. What is he talking about? So... That that's obscene. Anyway, in case you are thinking of taking poker advice from David Skolansky, don't. All right, next topic here. In a way, I'm kind of disappointed to see that. I don't know why, because you know Skolansky really doesn't like me, and it's not like I want to see that he's a good player or see him do well. But I I guess it's the early 2000s me that once looked up to Skolansky as a, a great player, and it turned out he really wasn't. I mean, even these plays are not even good back then. I, I don't understand. I have a feeling that uh, the money he's really made in poker has been all from his books and not from his actual play. Crazy. Let's talk about uh, poker coaches, since we just uh, discussed the... Uh, situation with uh, the creator of uh, or not the creator but the guy in uh, the new version of Full House Las Vegas being a poker coach and the fact that the whole thing was phony should you respect poker coaches well Stealth Monk aka Justin Schwartz says no this is what uh, Stealth Monk said He said this on uh, January 23rd, four days ago. He said this on Twitter. Poker coaching, 60% outright scamming thieves and charlatans, self-aware they can't win anymore, 39% delusional idiots unaware that they suck, 1% good. I guess uh, Skolansky would be in the 39% delusional idiots unaware they suck, but he's not a poker coach. 
It's amusing to try to speculate if the person is a scumbag, self-aware they're selling snake oil, or if they're just too stupid to know. Like take Phil Helmuth, for example. I'm positive that he truly believes he's one of the best no-limit players in the world and a great coach. Then look at Jonathan Little. Does he know the information he's putting out there or selling is complete garbage, or is he delusional? See, if the person is dumb enough to think they're actually a worthy poker coach, they aren't guilty of being a scumbag, only dumb. What's even more funny is that they will read this tweet and think, LOL, jealous haters, and not realize they are in fact stupid. Circular. There are probably hundreds of MTT pros now blinded by the variants who have run above EV lifetime and and think they would be a good poker coach. I used to get into fights on 2 Plus 2 with some idiot poster named Betgo who sold poker coaching, and he was a moron too. Obviously, he didn't realize he was a moron, so he took offense to me calling him a thief for selling garbage, a.k.a. his poker coaching. See, I don't know if Jonathan Little is self-aware and realizes he's terrible at poker. Take this guy, though, and then he linked uh, the page of a player known as Sharkslayer, a.k.a. uh, Todd Brayfogle. So he linked the coaching page of uh, Shark Slayer Todd Brayfogle, who I believe is from Minnesota. I'd be willing to bet a lot of money that Shark Slayer genuinely believes he's a top NL boss and his coaching is worth top dollar. So it's hard to call Shark Slayer a scumbag because he doesn't realize he's probably not even near the top 5,000 no-limit players in the world. Now, Jonathan Little, on the other hand, he seems smart enough to realize the information he's putting out there is straight garbage. He should be berated, then, if he is in fact self-aware that he's scamming people. Apologies if he's really just stupid, delusional, unaware. You could browse Jonathan Little's coaching site for under 10 minutes and be able to realize this guy doesn't teach winning poker in 2015. This this is all on Twitter, by the way, from Stealthmon. Can you imagine how many tweets? Each tweet is like 144 characters max, so he just hammering the tweets, like 60 tweets in a row to say all this. Uh, What's amusing is you then have the clueless amateurs getting reviews blinded by variants as well. They uh, They don't know anything. So then an amateur wins a tournament. Causation equals correlation. Duh. That's why choice center equals... Daniel Negreanu's Antonio win. So he's trying to say that uh, if they happen to luck into winning a tournament, they say the coaching did it for them, just like Negreanu says that uh, his good year was thanks to Choice Center. Clueless training site gets credit. When in reality, anyone caring enough about poker to realize they suck and to try to improve will eventually luck box into some sort of tournament. I'm not even saying Jonathan Little doesn't win at poker in 2015. He might. I'm just saying what he's selling is outdated garbage. It's the same thing with markup. Amateur cash is four of six live tourneys they play, so they think that getting a 50-50 one-time deal is fair. They aren't a scumbag at all, just clueless. However, a seasoned pro scamming a 50-50 one-time deal from investors is scum. Same. And can extrapolate further that people like Helmuth and other delusional idiots that think they'd be great investments just like coaches. I love the people that say, quote, it's up to the consumer. LOL, supporting these scumbags. That attitude is what Daniel Coleman hates. Cancer. If you're selling shit and you know it's shit and you're claiming it's gold, then you're a piece of shit. The end. Now, obviously, this isn't black and white. It's very gray. But I think it's obvious which, quote, poker coaches cross across the line and which are predatory. It's the whole training industry in anything. How can I know what makes a good XX coach such as guitar, golf, or any skill if I have no experience? The only way a consumer would be able to know if a coach is worth it would be if he didn't need coaching in the first place. So then it relies on reviews from stupid people blinded by variants who are still stupid and learn nothing. So I offer real reviews. Fact. 
Anyone bad enough at poker to pay for Jonathan Little's coaching will not be able to understand if he improved or didn't improve from it. Fact, just getting poker coaching probably offers a great placebo effect, and they will get better with the confidence, albeit artificial. Fact, browsing Jonathan Little's coaching for under 10 minutes, I literally laughed out loud at the advice explanation three times before I quit. Yet so few of these same poker players call call out the uh, same... Or sorry, uh, yes, yet some... Yet so few of the same poker players call out this exact predatory type of delusional idiot scumbag that infests nearly all poker training. You know what I know won't happen? A poker coach like Jonathan Little defending his product and challenging me calling him wrong. As I'm sure he knows I could use logic, facts, and science to show that the material he's masquerading as advanced poker is outdated shit. With the advances in modern medicine, you can't teach doctors with shit from the 1920s. So don't ask the Pocket Five's top ten from before the UIGEA in 2006 for 2015 advice. So uh, he goes on, but I'll, I'll stop there. Uh, this is what he was complaining about, a video. Well, this is one of the things he's complaining about, a video Jonathan, po- Jonathan Little put out. This is a free video, by the way, a free poker training video that you can watch on uh I guess from his webpage, called The Number One Mistake Cash Players right. Make. Hello, everyone. This is Jonathan Little. Thank you guys for showing up early and talking with me a little bit. By the way, this is a Live at the Bike webinar, and they're replaying it on this uh, free site. And the point of this is you, I guess you can buy other things he's selling. But uh, this is an hour long. I will play uh, 55 minutes of it. I can't see all of your questions that you're typing in, but please know that I'm only going to be answering questions at the end of this webinar. So if you have no, I'm just kidding. I won't play 55 minutes. I'll play uh, 25 minutes. Questions definitely stick around until the end. Um, in this webinar, I'm going to be talking to you about the number one mistake that cash game players make on a regular basis. And the reason I came up with this topic was because I was watching Live at the Bike, which is a cash game video show they produce on the internet. I believe you can check it out at liveatthebike.com. And I recognized that all of the players were doing one thing incredibly bad. There's actually only one player at the table who I thought was playing what I would quantify as well. And it's an extraordinarily interesting thing that everyone was making this mistake. Um, also, it is worth mentioning that this webinar is only going to be one hour. So only one if hour. you have questions, I-, I will get to them whenever I have time at the very end. So the number one mistake the cash game players make is they play way too many hands. So that's basically what he goes on talking about, that players play way too many hands. They, they call too many raises with crap, with dominated hands, with hands that can't really go anywhere, like you know king four offsuit, uh, do seven offsuit, king nine offsuit, and then they get themselves into trouble post-flop. So he, he's basically saying this is going to drag on for an hour. I'm not really going to play 25 minutes. I'm just messing with you. Just messing with the chat room. But uh, he's basically saying for an hour here that you need to tighten up reflop. You need to watch what people are doing in the positions before you. You need to not just limp because everyone's limping because if you have trash, you'll get yourself into trouble post-flop. Very basic stuff. Very simple stuff. I mean, this is beginning poker. This is... Poker Seminar 101. This is definitely not for advanced players or even uh, okay players. So 
Stealth Monk put this out and said, what the hell? You know, how can you be selling this crap? This is this is obvious stuff. This is simple stuff. This is advice that's not going to make you into a winning player in 2015. This is advice that when everyone was awful and was limping with 2-7 offsuit all the time, uh, this would help you. But uh, now this advice is not good anymore, he's saying. So uh, that's his problem here from his tweets. And I, I don't know what caused all this. I don't know why he hates Jonathan Little so much. I don't know why he decided, even if he felt this way, why he felt it was just time to pick on Jonathan Little and call him out. And and by the way, Jonathan Little, um, other than the Full Tilt scandal he had where he was uh, ripping off Full Tilt of Rakeback, but he had 100% Rakeback there as a Red Pro, and then he was letting others use his account to get the 100% Rakeback. So he was allowing multi-accounting, which was wrong. But other than that, he has a good reputation as a nice guy, and people have gotten along with him. And he, he's he's also done pretty well at the tables. So um, I, I don't know what made him, what made Stealth Monk want to pick on Jonathan Little and, and go off on him like this. But his point was that poker coaching is a scam and that you as a customer will not realize it's a scam because if you need the coaching, you're not good enough at poker and never will be good enough at poker to tell that your teacher sucked that you were being taught things that were not correct for today's games. You won't be able to tell that because you'll never get to be that good. And uh, and if you don't need the coaching, then you'll recognize it, but then the coaches won't lose business anyway because you would not be their potential customers. So he's basically accusing these poker coaches of being ones who are teaching outdated material and not even knowing how to play the current games and how to use current strategies to win in today's games, and then teaching that for a lot of money per hour, or selling videos teaching that and making a lot of money. So that was a Stealth Monk's problem here. And I posted this on Poker Fraud Alert and asked for people's opinions. I asked, is Stealth Monk off base here? Is he right on, or is he somewhere in the middle? And we actually had a wide variety of responses. We had some people that were defending Jonathan Little and saying that Stealth Monk is wrong, and others were saying, wow, Stealth Monk said what I've been thinking the whole time. Yeah, he's totally right. He's 100% right. I'll tell you what I think here. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think that he has a point that a lot of the coaches inflate their stats and they mislead people about their success at the tables. For example, they'll say, I have $2.5 million of caches. And people go, oh, wow, $2.5 million of caches. But then that brings up the question, but how much did you spend to cash $2.5 million? If you've entered $4 million worth of tournaments and you've cashed $2.5 million, then you're probably not a very good player, at least not someone who should be coaching, at least not someone who should be coaching any high-level players. And also there's a good chance a lot of that money that you made was through stakes where you even were not even risking your own money. So if you were being staked $3 million, you cashed $2.5 million, that's not a lot to brag about. Then you were a losing player, and uh, you probably shouldn't be a coach, except to very, very novice players. So uh, a lot of these people are probably coaching because they're broke, and they failed to make a living playing poker. There are those that do it to supplement their income. There's uh, some that do it because they just enjoy coaching, but there's many who don't coach because 
or there's many that do coach because they need the money. When you're doing really, really well at poker, it's hard to imagine you would want the distraction of a coaching business. It's tr- it's the truth. I can think about. It. I've never really considered being a poker coach. I bet I could have been back when Limit Hold'em was bigger and when I was closer to my Limit Hold'em bracelet win. But I I thought of writing a poker book. I thought of doing Limit Hold'em videos. And I, I probably could have sold some and made some decent money. But the reason I didn't at the time when they would have sold okay was that I was doing well enough at poker. I said, who needs the hassle? I thought, ah, I might as well spend the time winning the money at the tables rather than making these dumb videos or coaching people. So I didn't do it. It was a mistake. I probably could have made extra money and without any variance. But I, the bottom line is I didn't have the motivation because I saw these online poker sites as a way to print free money for me anyway. So that's why I didn't do it. If I was broke, yeah, I probably would have done it really fast. And I would have released a good product. I wouldn't have been scamming people, but I, I, I would have had much more motivation to do it if I had no money, if I could not win at poker anymore. And I think that is what motivates a lot of these coaches, which, of course, makes you wonder, why should I learn poker from someone who has gone broke playing poker? Now, if it's someone who went broke because they just exercised bad bankroll management or they have other gambling leaks, such as they blow their money betting sports, or they blow their money on uh, frivolous spending, or they exercise very poor bankroll management and play way too high, then they can still be excellent players and worthy of coaching you, despite being broke themselves. But many of the broke coaches are broke because they're just not that good, and they are delusional about how good they are. As Stealth Monk did say, Some of them start off well by just running well at the beginning and then deluding themselves into believing that they are good poker coaches, that they would make a good poker coach, they can give good poker advice because look how well they did. And then when they don't do as well after that and uh, go broke, then they blame it on luck and variance. But still believe they're they're very good and uh, should be coaches. However, with all that said, I think he was being too hard on Jonathan Little and the other coaching operations. Uh, Not all the coaches, in fact, most of the coaches are not aiming themselves at good players trying to become world class. They're not trying to get players like Stealth Monk to sign up for the coaching. They are trying to get Fish to sign up for the coaching. They're trying to appeal to the Fish who want to get better, the recreational players who want to improve, the recreational players who say, hey, I've heard of Jonathan Little, he's a pretty good player. He's willing to teach me. I want to learn. These coaches are aiming their coaching toward the novice player. So you don't have to be a world-class player in 2015 to coach novice players. Just like you don't need to be one of the top mathematical geniuses in the world to teach high school algebra. You need to be fairly good at math to be able to teach high school algebra, but... You do not have to be a math genius to teach high school algebra because you're not teaching something at a high level. You're teaching high school kids how to learn math. So the same thing here. If you are coaching people who are not good players 
who are learning from you so they can go from lousy to okay or lousy to decent, then you don't have to be a great player and you don't need to have completely adapted your game to the tougher middle and high stakes games that are taking place today. You don't have to include advanced theory or fifth level thinking in your training. I can tell you I'm not by any means a great no-limit cash player. Not even close. I'm not. I'm a much better limit hold'em cash player. But even I could coach fish or recreational no-limit players on how to get better. Even I could. In a game no-limit cash that I'm really not that great at. Why? Because I'm a lot better than the bad players I'd be coaching and I could introduce concepts to them that would beat the low-limit games that they're playing. I couldn't, teach, I couldn't teach them how to beat 10-20 at the Bellagio. But I could teach them how to beat 1-2 at their local casino. That I could do. Let's take a call here. We haven't had a call yet. Caller, you're on the air. Uh-oh. Turn off the radio. Caller, hello. Yeah, what's up? So who is this? Who's calling here from the 203? I need to turn this off. Uh, it's uh, Justin. Hello. Uh, I, should I turn off the radio on my computer while I talk to you? Yeah, what you should do is just close that window that has the radio going. Or just turn it down to no volume. See, there you are. There's your voice. All right. Can you do that? All right. I think I got it now. It's gone. Okay, so who is this again? You said uh, Justin or Dustin. What is your name? Justin. Justin. Stealth Monk. Stealth Monk. Oh, st- wow, wow. So someone told yeah. you you were on the show? Yeah, I tuned in just to hear that little uh, wow. rant. I, I wow. heard the tone he was using. Yeah, I don't know who was talking, but. Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, this has happened to me before. One time I was accusing, uh, falsely accusing, apparently, uh, Sean Deeve of uh, cheating in open face Chinese, and he called up and he was so pissed. I'm like, oh, I didn't know you listened to the show. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it turned out that I was wrong about it, too. I felt so bad. But um, here, this isn't as bad, but I'm glad to have you on the show. Um, I, I was. Just getting to the part, and then you can obviously uh, state your points. I don't want to state your points for you. But uh, the response I was giving there was that, um, I, yeah, I, th- I think that these player, these coaches, you can correct me if I'm wrong, like Jonathan Little and others are really gearing their coaching toward novice players in which they don't have to be that good and their info doesn't have to be that current. They're really teaching them very simple concepts and and you may laugh at okay play fewer hands play tighter but but you know you go play a, a one two live game and that advice could really be good advice for most of the people there so so that's where i feel that i think you're being too hard on little but i do agree with you that there's a lot of shady coaches out there and a lot that are believing that they're better than they are a lot that are misleading people about their uh their results that they are actually losing players even if they have a lot of lifetime caches so um, in, in that part, I agree with you. But w- w- what's your reaction to what I just said? Um, I, I, pre- I wish I didn't have my Twitter on honor, really, because I brought this up later. Like, I, I want to find the title so I could quote it. Like, he's not really marketing himself as like getting beginner players to be able to be one two no limit for like small stakes MTTs because like I'm sure that any information like as long as you like are trying to win, like you basically are going to crush those fields. So, 
So you, so you feel that people who are not winning there are just not really trying to win? Because I'm, I'm not really seeing it that way. When people are playing, I, I have people that really believe that just limping with garbage at, at a low limit, uh, no limit game is correct. They, they, think... th- and if I tell them it's yeah, not correct, they give me a hard time. Uh, I mean, I think if you walk into a poker room, like probably like eighty-five to ninety percent of the players are all going to think that they're good at poker and win. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And, and I, I think so too. To reverse. That's just the thing about poker; everyone just forget it. No, that's and, like, true. That's so thing, that's actually just I was, I was talking about the whole thing with it was like Charles Middle comes across like he still I haven't played a lot of hands with him. I don't know. Like I played with my mind back in the day, but he comes off that like he sort of like. And because he's trying to be he's like, I would assume that he has, like, some knowledge of, like, the changes in the strategy of poker and, like, how different a game it is online and higher stakes now than it was back in years ago. And yet, his stuff here, and he's not selling it to beginners. I want to find, I'm blocking his Twitter, so I'm having a hard time finding his website. But, like, he one of his books is titled, like, it's like, become a master at poker or whatever. It's like, obviously, he's going to sell himself well, but... Well, yeah, a lot of that is marketing, though. Like, become a master at poker. If you're, if you know, if I think it's different, just calling it become a master at poker and going to a place where you know a lot of decent players hang out and say, "Hey, you guys are decent, but do you want to become a great player like me? Uh, buy my book, you know, buy my videos, do individual coaching sessions with me, and then and then you get the guy coaching you, and you see that he can't beat a a modern uh, ten twenty live game or a modern uh, twenty five fifty live game, and you go, this is this is a joke. This is what I was trying to learn, and the guy can't teach me. Uh, I, I still think that advice given to fish uh, on on the basics on improving over horrendous mistakes they make uh, is kind of timeless because there's there's certain mistakes that that a lot of big time fish make. And that uh, the same advice that was good advice 10 years ago is good advice now. It's just uh, I think past that, it starts to get uh, – that's where you have to start differentiating between what was good advice in 2006 and good advice in 2015. <clears throat> so that's – I mean that's that's the way I see it. Now I have a question for you though. What What – was the catalyst to this? What made you just kind of go off like this on Jonathan Little? Did did he do something specifically to piss you off, or did you just kind of like see him advertising and get pissed off? Like what what happened to make you just go off like this? Nothing. I mean, I just I just was browsing the internet one day and I had a Twitter and his pin tweet was uh, that free video. And like I'm obviously a huge poker nerd. I'm gonna ingest any poker media like at least give it a chance. Yeah. And like I watched that video and like. I said, like, five minutes, it was completely unbearable because, like, the stuff he was saying was just, like, especially, like, the fact that in the hand that he was talking about, where he said only one of the players was playing well, and, like, I knew that player was actually a good player. And, like, he doesn't, he refuses, like, he goes, even the king nine off in the big blind, to lose, it's going to be tough to play, whereas the guy in the big blind is adjusting his play to the other people's ranges, and they had two seven and everything else. It would be a complete travesty to pull King Nine off in the big blind closing the action when other people's ranges are literally eighty percent. And like he doesn't mention that at all. He calls it a bad play actually. Like just it, it just drove me like I was like this guy it's like a winning poker player in two thousand because it was like and like I talked to people that play more with him and they obviously think he's terrible. 
I have to. I have to tell you. I have to admit, I did get bored of the video before I got as far as you did there in that. So, uh, if he really was uh, ad- advocating uh, folding it there at, at that point, then uh, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense either to me. But uh, um, you're a limit holdem player, right? I, I well, I'm, I'm mainly a limit holdem player. I I, I, I I play some uh, no limit cash if I'm waiting for a limit holdem game or something. And uh, but but yeah, I, I mean the vast majority of hands I've played are limit holdem. But uh, well, then, then you would really laugh at the hit dice. Because the limit players don't fold the big blinds, so yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you do sometimes, but not not king nine to one raise. But uh, yeah, your king nine for raise multi way when the other player has two seven and three six. Yeah, no, I, no, I understand that. And but when he said it so confidently, it was like it was just beyond me. I just like I'm like then I feel it's like video like and like also like nothing like it's little things like you see a stupid fucking. Pollution the Rio all the time, getting harassed by those people and whatnot. What, what about the Rio? At the Rio every summer, they have yet to build booths or peddling books. Uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's there's all kinds of stuff like that at the Rio, like selling different things and selling yeah. different training. I I kind of just tuned it out when I walked by, but uh, uh, yeah, look, I I understand all your points here. And um, and I don't know about Jonathan Little specifically, so I'm not I'm not his friend. I don't know him. I'm not trying to defend him. Um, if if he gave bad advice in that video, I have to admit I didn't watch enough of it. I, I saw it was an hour. If it's like a five minute video, I would have watched. I'm like, oh, I don't want to watch this for an hour of him explaining novice limit uh, no limit holdem to people. That's like torture to watch that. So the number one mistake casting players make. Yeah, I, I saw him say that and but, talk about how they play too many hands, and I go, well, that part I agree with. I mean, I, I observe that as well, that they just play trash because other people are limping in front of them. But uh, I, I thought it was going to be like a video just basically saying that over and over for an hour. Uh, if he is giving incorrect advice here, I, I have to like blatantly incorrect advice, even in those games, then, yeah, that does call his operation into question. But I was speaking more from the standpoint of, of all coaches is, is is the whole coaching thing pretty much a big scam or either scams or, or delusional people, or is there really value in it for people who are, um, you know, way below average I mean, players trying to improve. And, uh, anyone that's way below average. Yeah. Anyone that's way below average can improve. There's free information on the internet to improve anything. There, there is, but you know, some people prefer the one-on-one thing. It's, it's yes, you can do it cheaper, but some people prefer having someone there holding their hand, saying, "Okay, uh, yeah, you did this right," or "No, you did this wrong." They don't have to figure it out for themselves. They just feel better. Uh, at, at the same time, I agree with you that like a lot of these coaches out there who do position themselves as ones that uh, they want you to think that they're going to get just about any player to improve their game to a high level. When in reality, a lot of them are not capable of that, and and uh, and as I think you're correct, also about how some really believe they're good and just aren't, and some know they're not that good anymore, and in fact went broke because they're not very good, and are just saying, "Hey, you know, I'm still going to coach anyway because it makes me money and people know my name," and and I agree, those people are the worst. Uh, does Jonathan Little fit into that category? I I don't know. I just I was just saying that uh, uh, I I think. From watching, from reading your tweets there, I thought you were a little too hard on the coaches, but at the same time, I thought you also raised a lot of good points. It was kind of, I was kind of in the middle there when I read it. I, I couldn't decide if I agreed with you or disagreed with you, and when I thought about it again, I said I, I kind of half agree with him. So, well, I mean, I said in there that it was like, all right, personally, like when I said it was like, 
the 60%, 39%, 1% growth. Like, I said I was exaggerating a bit, but, like, and by the way, they're not the actual words. I don't know if you saw my tweet about it, but there's a guy on 2 plus 2, and I shit you not, this sounds like not, this sounds like an onion article, but, like, he literally was selling this on 2 plus 2. He was selling coaching on how to coach to make 100 k a year coaching poker. <laughs> yeah, that, that was funny when I read that. <laughs> Learn how to coach poker. Learn how to make 100K uh, coaching poker. Get my coaching on how to coach. In fact, there should probably be a coach who coaches you how to coach people how to coach poker. It's, it's, it should just be more and more levels of that all the way up. But, uh, I mean, yeah, that, that's funny. And the, the funny thing – that guy. Like, that guy is, is like – it's like either that guy is so completely delusional that he's not in society or he's a scam artist. And that's why I went to the random Todd Brosville whole thing where I just – I know he challenged some people that took him back then. He's just, he looks like one of those stereotypical live guys that like, you've played with a million times. Just, like, just think this one's better than the guy like Macho people. I mean, has a clue or a lick of anything. Yeah, but, I, th- uh, I, I think the guys like that, they, they see it like they go, okay, well, I see a lot of people are making money from poker coaching. So for those that could be potential poker coaches, I'm going to teach you the right things to say and where to advertise and, and how to advertise to make yourself money. And you got to pay me how to show you how to market yourself. And that's uh, and yeah, it is there is a shadiness angle to it definitely because uh, this guy is obviously not selecting only worthy coaches. He's showing anyone how to say the right things and trick people into paying whether the coaching is good or garbage. So so I, I can see where you say that guy is a scumbag. But you're you're going to have this in anything. Anytime there's Someone who can sell something, sell information that people are going to pay money for. Uh, people do it all the time. Yeah. Remember those. I, I uh, get that response so much in my tweets. I get that response so much in my tweets where they're like, blame it's the consumer's fault, it's marketing and all that. And I'm like, yeah, like some people have the attitude and it's perfectly fine to respect that. Like some people in the whole American capitalistic idea is that it's like, it's like a dog eat dog world. Like you make your own living, like sell it just. Sell it as whatever you want, but like I view it as more like selling a fake Rolex as a real one. No, I'm not, I, and I'm not saying that. I, I wasn't saying it was right. I wasn't saying it's 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 up to the consumer. If the consumer gets tricked, it's on him. In fact, it always bothers me on two plus two when someone posts about a scam that they're the victim of, and you'll inevitably have some people on the thread saying, "If you were dumb enough to fall for this, it's your fault." And oh that and that, that's okay. never true because it, it's it's. It can be said that the person was naive and that they should have exercised more caution, but you cannot say it's the victim's fault they got scammed. It's, it's the scammer's fault. Uh, the victim just didn't show enough caution, but you can never say the victim uh, has blame in a scam. So I, similarly, uh, if someone is teaching someone, you know, teaching anyone who wants to learn how to get others to buy your coaching, whether it's good or trash, I, I can see why you have a problem with that, and that, that does uh, start to... Uh, that doesn't look very good ethically, I admit, and I don't just say, oh, it's the cons- you know the consumer can buy what he wants, and if he buys something of poor value, it's his fault. Everything I always felt everything should be represented as it really is. And if you yeah, buy something cool. understanding what it is and make a bad decision, then it's your fault. If you buy something not understanding what it is, and if you had no way to understand it, or if it was difficult to understand it, or if you were intentionally misled, then you were tricked or cheated in some way. And that's that's always... In fact, when I deal with a company and I have to decide whether I'm going to make a big deal to try to get money back or complain, uh, I always think, did I get what I believed I was paying for? And if the answer is no, then I, my next question is, 
should I have known better, or was there no way for me to know? If the answer is there was no way for me to know, then I fight very hard to get my money back. And that's that's the the way I live by that. Uh, you know, it's never the consumer's fault if they're tricked. So so I I agree with you on that part of it. And uh, you know, with coaching, it, it it's a tough thing because like let me you mentioned limit hold'em, which is my main game. Uh, there's a lot of people who I could teach. You know, people who seem who would probably have the aptitude for it, but just aren't doing it right. A lot of people I could teach to become much better limit hold'em players, and that once I teach them, they could go sit in certain limit hold'em games and win a lot more money. And I could teach them, and the information would be valuable if they put the time into learning and playing. And uh, what would I charge? I don't know, because I've never coached before or had an interest in it, but uh, um, it would be something I could really provide. Uh, and and not I'm not talking about teaching people how to beat the 100-200 at Commerce. I'm talking about people learning how to beat 2040 at Commerce or 816. And, uh, and you know, that information, depending on how high they're going to play and how high the rake is, if they can even beat it, uh, it could be valuable. So, so I, I think that uh, there is a place for coaching. And I think videos are better than coaching just because they're not that expensive. So the individual isn't putting a lot of money into it. So unless they're selling a complete garbage video... If you've paid $40 for a video and at least learned a few good things, then it's, it's going to be worth it for you. If you've paid thousands for coaching and don't learn and learn only a few good things, then it probably isn't worth very much to you. So uh, you know, it's a matter of what return you're getting on your money. So I, I think there is a place for coaching in poker. I, I think there are some worthwhile coaches. I think the coaches that aim their coaching at lower limit players and at worse players are, are probably more... Uh, you get more value, you know, the more value is gotten out of them and they're uh, really providing a service. I, I think the ones that uh, are portraying themselves as much better players than they are in order to coach already decent players, I think those are the ones I have the most problem with. I had experience coaching. I coached for a bit after Black Friday when I just wanted like an excuse to see some poker because I couldn't play my poker anymore. And... Um, like, I found that with coaching, like, when you deal with, like, it's really hard to, like, understand what a player needs to work on in their game, especially when it's coaching for MTTs, because so much of it is just, like, trivial and, like, nearly solved, and, like, it's, like, almost answered my like, 100 blind games. But I I just could never, like, imagine, like, back in the day, like, I was offered a crazy amount of money to coach, and, like, I, I was, like, just like you, like, I viewed it as free money, and now I, like, I'm regretting it because everything's different now. I was offered, like, 500 an hour, 1,000 an hour for, like, PLO, because I was one of the first people playing PLO back in the day, and now it's changing the biggest game. But that's the thing, like, everyone that was, was tweeting me was saying that it's not the consumer's fault. I mean, that, that it's the consumer's fault, like, oh, they're stupid, they do it, but, like, that's the thing, and if they're targeting low level players, they do not know. They cannot know. That's a problem with like learning, like learning any skill. Like that's why when we were talking about earlier, why ninety percent of the people in the room think that they're probably in the top ten percent skill of the room, when it's just a fact that eighty percent of those people are wrong. But because they aren't in the top ten percent of the room, they have no way of knowing that. Yeah, I understand. I understand there's no way to for the player after he's been coached to know if he got good coaching and I agree that just winning a tournament after that means nothing. But uh, uh but but uh, at the same time there are people who do want to have coaching that that's the environment where they feel like they want to learn. They're just not good at 
reading and, and learning from material online, and this is this is the the way that they can learn the easiest. And uh, it's a matter of finding a, a quality coach that can actually help them and isn't misrepresenting himself. And uh, I I just don't know what percentage are really doing that or misrepresenting themselves or uh, uh, you know doing something shady or even unintentionally uh, propping up how great they are uh, versus ones that uh, that are actual useful coaches or ones that are not that great, but don't have to be because they're only coaching uh, lower limit players that uh, are not going to play in tough games. And you sort of, like, when you say that, you sort of, like, miss the, like, biggest, funniest, like, part of the tweet. It wasn't calling out Jonathan Little. It was more like the fact of what you just said, that, like, they think they're good. Like, I, I saw that Jonathan Little was a scumbag because, like, he strikes me as someone that knows what's going on. Like, he just... Like, that's just my read on him. Like, I could be wrong. He could be one of the millions of delusional idiots that I mentioned. And the thing is, like, if he is aware, then he's a scumbag. Well, he, he knows that the information he's selling is worth nothing. Well, if because Jonathan I think Little he's is... probably good at poker. Well, if he's Whereas, been... like, if Phil Homme has released a book, I guarantee you Phil Homme believes from the start and the fifth soul that every little thing he says is the best poker skill that he does. I, I think like, it's... Like, a... I'm sure he believes that. I don't believe Jonathan Little thinks that he's not good at poker. I think, in fact, if he's still putting up poker results these days, I, I I'm sure he still thinks he's good. And uh, uh, oh, I wasn't saying he thinks he's good. I was saying if he's good, you're not, I was saying if he's good, then he knows that the information he's putting there is bad because he knows what good information is. Well, why would he intentionally do A lot that? Of the why, people why would he don't know the good? Why why would he put out bad information intentionally? Does well, make sense? That doesn't make sense to me. If you're well, coach, if you're coaching, well, no. Well, I mean, I guess a few people could say, oh, "I'm worried about them. Uh, it's hurting my games." But I, I think if you're putting out basic videos uh, teaching people how to play, it's possible that he's a good, uh, a better high limit player who just doesn't understand low limit games and is getting things wrong. I, I don't know what's. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, and as I said, I haven't watched his hour long video there. But uh, I, I don't see that that Jonathan Little is a good player who's saying, I'm going to put out bad information and say it's good. I, I, I just don't see that's happening. I, I can see uh, from a lack of understanding, I can even see someone who was once good and, the, and that um, they've realized that they can't win anymore but say, hey, I'm still going to coach people to do what I used to do. Uh, but, but usually these people lie to themselves anyway. You have very few people whose games have been passed by by time that admit they suck now. They usually say, oh, I've just had such bad luck. Uh, I, I just can't run well anymore. So now I'm just going to coach where it's not running well is not important. They'll say things like that rather than I'm just not as good by today's standards as I was 10 years ago. So uh, with the same game. So I admit I suck for two years. Two years. It's been three or four years since Black Friday, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's been four like years. Two and a half, three years after Black Friday, I was really finished for a little bit. Hmm. I was no. just funny because I was, like, I was one of the few people that would admit that. Okay, well, it's uh, self self aware of you to say. So, all right, well, uh, thank yeah, you. Very self aware. Thank you, Stealth Monk, for calling in. I've got a bunch of stuff I still got to get to tonight, and uh, the show is only like it's it's coming near when it's supposed to end, so I got to cut this off. But uh, right. th- thank you. I'm glad you got to speak for yourself here rather than me speaking for you. And uh, uh, thank you for being on here. Uh, thank you. That was uh, Jonathan. Not Jonathan. Just, he's, gonna, he's not going to be happy about that. Justin Schwartz, a.k.a. Stealth Monk, calling in. I guess we'll have to agree to semi-disagree. As you can see, I, I saw some of his points, and some of them I thought he was being too hardline. 
Well, Amaya accidentally promoted a non-existent New Jersey launch of Full Tilt Poker. I won't spend too long on this one because we're running out of time. But uh, this message came up when people visited New Jersey's, uh, or when they visited Full Tilt Poker from their iPhone. I didn't even know you could do that. Maybe they uh, went to FullTilt.net, I think is what happened, or FullTilt.com, whatever. Someone tried to go to Full Tilt Poker from their iPhone, and uh, this is the message they got. It said, FullTilt.net. We are pleased to announce that we have a new version of our game software fully licensed by the New New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement offering real money gameplay on a fully regulated gaming platform. To begin playing on the New Jersey Full Tilt game software, download the software using the download button below, then log in with your current Full Tilt account details and follow the instructions on screen. This almost sounds like uh, you can just go back on to your old Full Tilt account that was closed three years ago, four years ago, and uh, just keep playing if you're in New Jersey. Once you've done so, you, your Play Money Chips balance will be transferred to your New Jersey Full Tilt account and your Bracket Zero account will be closed. Transferring your account and it cuts off there. That's also weird. Your play money chips balance will be transferred to your New Jersey full tilt account. I guess they're trying to say that you'll go from old full tilt to New Jersey full tilt and your play money will go there. Your old full tilt will be closed and then it says transferring your account and it just ends and then says, okay, ask me later or no. <laughs> what are you saying no to? You're supposed to click okay. Ask me later or no. <laughs> what if you say no? What does no mean? Uh, no, I, I don't agree with what you're saying. No, Full Tilt's not coming to New Jersey. Well, if you click that, you're right. Full Tilt's not coming to New Jersey. This is a mistake. And that's why there was that weird thing up there about your Bracket Zero account. Because Bracket Zero was actually, it, it's, it's kind of like a programming code to where in its place it's supposed to be inserting that person's screen name. So it would say like your, uh, you know, Johnny Aces123, let's say that was your name, account will be closed. And then transferring your account, it starts to say, and then it just ends there like they didn't finish writing the whole thing. So they were just testing this. Uh, This is not going to become available. This was sent out to social media by a guy uh, named Dennis Lopez, who lives in New Jersey. But uh, Eric Holreiser, head of corporate communications for Amaya, said this should not have been made publicly available. He said in a tweet, we're looking into the errant message. Read the New Jersey license. It's an error we are investigating. They have not issued a follow-up. But it's pretty obvious that they were just testing it for when they will eventually start up Full Tilt and Poker Stars in that state. And uh, that they forgot to leave it in test mode and they forgot to restrict it to only certain phones. So where anyone who had an iPhone that tried to go to Full Tilt got that message on that date. And this uh, got people wrongly excited that uh, this... uh, (laughs) was going to actually happen. So there were a number of things in that message that were obviously a little bit weird looking. The fact that it cuts off, the fact that it says okay or no, uh, the the bracket zero thing, that's all. False alarm, no big deal. 
Well, here's something that may or may not be a false alarm. It's a uh, it's another poker bill for California. California, uh, they want to introduce online poker. The big problem is whether poker stars is allowed or disallowed in the state. And it's very simple. The tribes and the card rooms that will get a license to offer poker but will not use poker star software don't want poker stars because it's very strong competition and those that will be using poker star software obviously do want poker stars and these are the two warring factions they've both made alliances and uh, these are two warring factions in the legalized online poker fight that until this is resolved uh, you're not going to see any laws passed in California to legalize online poker so uh, the second bill that has been introduced in 2015 there's already been a bill introduced that um, called AB7 in California that does have what's known as the bad actor provision the bad actor will prevent any company that had anything to do with offering online poker after the UIGEA in 2006 from taking part in the California market, which means it would shut out poker stars. The newest online poker bill that has also been submitted by uh, Reggie Jones-Sawyer to the California Assembly, this is Assembly Bill 167. So we have Assembly Bill 7 by Mike Gatto, And we have Assembly Bill 167. So 7 has the bad actor clause. 167 does not. So as you might have guessed, the pro-PokerStars people, the pro-PokerStars tribes, which include the Morongos, the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians, and uh, Commerce, Hawaiian Gardens, and Bicycle Casino, all of whom are going to use PokerStars software, uh, released a statement we applaud Assemblymember Joan Sawyer for his thoughtful approach to iPoker legislation in California, which takes into account many years of input from stakeholders on all sides, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, our, co- our coalition strongly believes that in order to be successful passing Internet poker legislation that, begin, that, believe, that uh, brings much-needed re- protection to consumers in a currently unregulated market, the various interests need to work together in place of previous attempts to use the legislative process to provide competitive advantages to a few operators. So they're trying to say uh, we need to let everybody into this thing and cooperate, not try to shut out the best competition. I've said before that PokerStars will provide the best software. There's no doubt about that, though I do very much understand the opposition because the opposition is saying PokerStars had an unfair head start to have the best software because they operated illegally for all these years. They built the software with illegal money that was made. And uh, they should not be able to take this advantage now into the legalized market. If I had to rule on this, I would say that the bad actor provision should stay for that reason. That's the fair thing to do. It may not be the best thing for poker players, but it's the fair thing as far as uh, giving a chance to the businesses that acted within the law. But my input does not matter. Uh, The Pachanga tribal chairman Mark Macaro attack this bill because he's anti-poker stars. He's not going to be using poker stars for the Pachanga tribe. 
There's much for tribes to dislike about this bill. We're disappointed the bill disregards important principles from a broad coalition of respected tribes and card rooms that help prevent corporations and entities that previously violated federal law from profiting from tainted software brands and databases derived from illegal activity. Tainted software? I don't think PokerStars is tainted software, but uh, it it probably uh, was built somewhat with not tainted, but uh, illegally obtained money. So we'll see how this plays out. It's not clear which of these two is going to pass, if any, but uh, both of these bills are now submitted. More state-level poker news. Nevada has introduced a bill to make it illegal to do any kind of staking deal. A, deal called, uh, a bill called SB40, again at the state level, has been uh, pre-filed on behalf of the Nevada Gaming Control Board to reduce money laundering risks in sports betting, but also looks like it will affect staking deals in poker. Uh, the bill will criminalize uh, receiving directly or indirectly any compensation or reward or any percentage or share of the money proper or property played from anyone, quote, accepting or facilitating any bet or wager upon the result of any race, sporting event, or future contingent event. So what does all that mean? What that means is that it will become illegal in Nevada for one person to place a bet on behalf of another and make a profit from it. So let me tell you what would be legal and illegal if this bill were to pass. It would be legal for you to send your dad down or your friend down when you're feeling sick up in the room in Caesars and send him down and say, hey, um, can you place uh, $1,000 for me on the Lakers? And then, uh, you know, then later your dad goes and collects for you and brings you the money. Not illegal because your dad is not making money doing it. Your friend is not making money doing it. They're, they're placing a bet on your behalf, but they're not profiting from it in any way. They're doing this for you as a free service. Even if you're not on property, even if you, you call your dad from California and who, while he's in Vegas and say, hey, dad, can you place $1,000 for me on the Lakers? And he places the $1,000, and if it wins or loses, he brings you, he either brings you the money that you won or you pay him the 1000 back when he gets home. Uh, that's fine, too. What is not fine is having professional runners to play sports bets where they get uh, paid for it, either a percentage or a, or, or a, a flat rate. Uh, it would not be legal to uh, likely to stake poker players and take any kind of markup or uh, anything where the person uh, who is actually doing the playing is getting anything but a one-to-one benefit. And even with a one-to-one benefit, there could be an argument made that it's giving them the opportunity to play something that they otherwise uh, couldn't play. So even if you sell 30% of yourself at 30% of the buy-in where there's no markup, uh, it could still be argued that you maybe couldn't play the event if uh, if that person didn't put up their money. So again, that you're uh, doing this on their behalf. But that, that would be kind of a stretch. But there's concern that since most staking deals do involve some sort of uh, markup by the player, whether it's the player being staked completely where they put up none of their own money, or whether it's a markup of selling pieces where you sell 10% of yourself for the price of you know 12%, this would become illegal 
by this bill. And many people are very concerned that the World Series then, which has a lot of staked players, that this will be illegal and can't be done anymore. So there's a lot of panic. A lot of people say, oh, no, no more staking in the World Series, and the, the fields are going to go down by so much, and it's going to be awful, it's going to be so terrible. The penalties in this bill have been set to one to six years in jail and or a $5,000 fine. Can you imagine that you stake someone or you are the staked player and you get one to six years in jail for it? Well, don't worry about that. That's not going to happen. This bill is aimed at money launderers. It's aimed at people who have made money illegally, like from the drug trade or whatever, that then give money to uh, others, to third parties, to bet on their behalf to make the money legal. And, and basically the way they do it, and, you know, gambling has long been used as a way to uh, launder money. Basically, uh, when they do this because there's no record a lot of times on what money has brought been brought in and, and won or lost. So when they lose, they just don't mention that they had it in the first place. And when they win, they, they just said they got lucky. And then it's money they, quote, legally obtained. So uh, this is being done to force at least the people who are trying to launder the money to show up themselves, not to hide as other people, not to have this being done through other people, and also because there's limits. Uh, this way you can't spread this out through uh, you know 100 different people coming in to launder money for you, that you have to come and, and play for yourself. And that if anyone is compensated to place these bets for you, which means it would be their job to do so, uh, then you've been been committing a crime and can get one to six years in prison. This is a, a new technicality to nail money launderers. So that's who they care about. They care about drug dealers who are trying to legitimize uh, you know, the million dollars they have currently in cash that they uh, made from selling drugs. They're not worried about the average guy who wants to play a poker tournament that's being staked. They're not going to care about this. And furthermore, even if it is illegal, how are they going to find out? Um, this is a state-level bill. So let's say you get staked for a $1,500 buy-in World Series event. And let's say it's illegal according to this bill. And let's say you win. Let's say you win a lot. Let's say you win $200,000 at that event. Well, let's say you have a 50-50 agreement with your staker. So now you have to give him 100000 And as far as taxes are concerned... Uh, you have to report to the IRS that you gave him 100000 or otherwise you're, uh, you're committing a violation. And furthermore, uh, it's smart for you to report this to the IRS because otherwise you're forced to pay this guy's taxes. So uh, you report to the IRS that you gave him 100000 as part of a staking deal, and then he's expected to pay his taxes, but it's out of your hands at that point. Then it's no longer your responsibility, and you pay the taxes and your 100000 win. Do you get in trouble? No, because the IRS does not run to Nevada and say, ah, 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 look, I know, you t- I know staking is illegal over there, so go get this guy. The IRS is not going to do this. The IRS, all they want to do is collect tax money. They don't care where you got it. They just care that if you've made money, you pay taxes on it. They're not going to go back and report you to the state of Nevada. So it's, it's never going to happen. Even if they did, they're not going to go after the individual stakers. There are many things that are technically illegal, 
that are never enforced. And this would be one of them. They would only be going after the big fish here and the actual money launderers. But the biggest reason not to be concerned is that this is not law. This is a bill that has been put forth, that has been pre-filed, but nothing's happened. And there are so many bills that go through the Nevada legislature that go nowhere. In fact, most of them go nowhere. So I have a feeling this will also go nowhere. And it's also very possible that if it does become law, that by then it will have been changed to uh, exclude certain smaller limit bets or other things like that. But even if it doesn't, you have nothing to worry about. So don't panic. Uh, There's not the end of staking as you know it for the World Series, and I don't think this is going to have any kind of appreciable impact on the field, especially because there's really uh, uh, no way for the state to know if you've been staked. So, wouldn't worry about it. I guess uh, Stealth Monk said in chat that I was in the Bill O'Reilly School of Interviewing. Is that kind of... I guess that's an insult. The Bill O'Reilly School of Interviewing? I mean, I, I gave him a chance to uh, to give out his point. I didn't even disagree with him. I disagree partially, but I, I wasn't like in full debate mode. Bill O'Reilly School of Interviewing. I have to think that's an insult because I, I don't think that Stealth Monk is a conservative. I don't think he likes Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> Always something here. All right, Todd Brunson played a 50,000, 100,000 Limit Hold'em game against banker Andy Beal at the Bellagio. This is the famous game that's been discussed before in uh, The Professor, the Banker, and the Suicide King, that uh, famous book. This game's taken place a number of times before. Andy Beal is a rich banker who likes the competition of playing poker for very, 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 very high stakes that make nosebleed stakes look like uh, micro-limits. He loves the very, very, very high stakes, heads-up limit hold'em. He enjoys the competition. He enjoys freaking the shit out of his opponent because of how much money they're playing for. Even when they've pulled it from other people, it's still pretty hard to play for that type of money. Every mistake costing so much. But uh, he enjoys it. You might wonder, why is it limit hold'em? Well, that's what Andy Beal learned back when he was learning poker. No limit was not a, a big thing for cash games. So that's what he learned, and that's what he's sticking to. Anyway, he disappeared for a while, especially because he was irritated that the group of players who pooled their money that he was playing against, that uh, he wanted to choose who he would play. There were a few players he didn't like facing that he thought were very tough. And he said he wants to choose among that group who he plays, and uh, and they said, no way, we're going to choose. And uh, he had some other conditions they didn't like, and eventually the whole thing fell apart. And those games stopped for many years. But Andy Beal returned, and no one expected this, but he returned and played in a $5 million freeze-out, apparently, at the Bellagio in Bobby's room, the private high-limit room there, a semi-private. I mean, when I say private, anyone's allowed to go in and play there, but it is kind of often an area that's hard to see. Uh, Todd Brunson was facing off heads-up with Andy Beal. The limits were 50000 100000 The small blind 
was 25k. The big blind was 50k. So it's it's called 50,000, 100,000 because that's how limit hold'em works. Because that's referring to the flop bet is the 50,000, and pre-flop bet is 50,000. The turn bet is 100,000 because of course it's limit, so you can't just select what you're going to bet. It's always a multiple of one of those. So that's how limit hold'em works, of course. So uh, the blind's 25, 50,000. The limit's 50,000, 100,000. Many pots over a hundred, over a million dollars there. Many pots can be that way. So really a $5 million roll for this is way too small. And uh, what happened? Todd Brunson won. Todd Brunson won $5 million in this game. I have to imagine it was not all his money. I have to imagine he was staked probably by a number of different people. Uh, Whoever staked him made off pretty well. I have to say that Todd Brunson has a pretty good reputation for his limit hold'em skill. So uh, I have to think he's a favorite in the game. Though Andy Beal, what he does, he plays a very aggressive style. So if he's running well, it's very hard to deal with him. And the reason he does that is because he doesn't care about the money. So he uses that to his advantage. So he uses the huge limits to his advantage. The only way you can do that is if you're very aggressive and you've got your opponent constantly thinking about, wow, I know I'm supposed to re-raise him here, but do I really want to for this type of money? So, and you can say, oh, you know, Todd Brunson should just turn it off and pretend like he's playing a, you know, a five ten limit game, not five ten thousand, but like yeah, play pretend he's playing a low limit game or middle limit game or whatever. But you can say that, but when you're actually playing for that type of money, it, you can't just forget that you're playing for that type of money. You can't. You can try as hard as you want. You can't. But but Todd Brunson was victorious. I, I don't know details about the match, but it was reported, and it did exist. It really did happen. Todd Brunson won five million dollars. From uh, from Andy Beal there, and uh, you know it's equivalent to playing fifty one hundred limit hold'em and having five thousand dollars on each side. So the game can go for some time, but it's very very easy to lose five thousand dollars at fifty one hundred limit hold'em, or another way to put it, ten twenty limit hold'em a thousand dollars. You can easily lose a thousand there in not too long of a time if you don't run well. So, Andy Beal lost $5 million. Todd Brunson was the winner. I don't know if there will be future games like this or if uh, this is a one-time thing for Andy Beal's return. I have a feeling this is not the end. I think there's going to be more coming soon, especially since Andy Beal lost. He probably wants to come back and win, but maybe he will demand he plays somebody else besides Todd Brunson if the money was not Brunson's, which it probably wasn't. The Polish Finance Ministry is in a bit of controversy right now for allegedly scraping data from the Hendon Mobs website. <laughs> Whoops, that's the wrong sound effect. This is what I meant to play. Yeah. So um, the Hendon Mob, which is uh, currently owned by Alexandra Dreyfus. He's threatened a lawsuit against the Polish finance ministry. Uh, the Hendon Mob technicians tracked some ongoing quote, hacking of the website in December and um, continued throughout January. And they found that a lot of the – I don't know why they call it hacking. To me, it looks like scraping where there's just a uh, – it looks like a lot of – their data is being harvested. But they found that a lot of the scraping occurred from 
IP addresses associated with mf.gov.pl, which is the Ministry of Finance, MF, of the government of Poland, gov.pl. It's the official site of the Polish Finance Ministry. So they found that uh, there were eight suspected accounts, and uh, all of this came from IP addresses associated with the Polish Finance Ministry. So uh, Dreyfus, the owner of the site, was furious about this, that they were trying to scrape information from that site. And uh, apparently uh, the bot that the Polish agency used crawled more than 250,000 players' profiles. And uh, it was worried that uh, they were just crawling tons of profiles to see what information they could get on Polish players. And uh, so Alexander Dreyfus said this on Twitter. Dear Finance Minister of Poland, please stop crawling and stealing data from the Hendon mob. It's illegal. Moreover, due to our security procedure, the data you are crawling is not accurate. It's fake data. So they claim they're giving fake data out. We will sue you if you use that information for any claim. So he's claiming that, and I don't believe this, he's claiming that when they detect some sort of crawling that they modify their data to be fake. Because it's a database, that's a hard thing to do because it, it all connects to each other. You know, you, you click on a guy who you want to read about. You see he finished eighth in such and such tournament. You click on that tournament, you see a list of who finished you know, first through ninth. So they'd have to be modifying so much to display. You, don't, you never know what the users are going to click on, so it's very hard to display fake data. I, it can be done, but I don't think that's what they're doing. I think they're just saying that so the Polish players don't get in trouble, that they are uh, trying to learn about. So uh, Dreyfus also wrote to FlushDraw.net, this is a breach of our terms and conditions, and we're very clear, and it's very clearly against an EU directive, European Union. So we want to fight about the fact that it's illegal for a government, a company, or whoever to steal our data and use it. So I guess it's illegal in Europe to do things like that. Uh, so um, apparently it started on December 29th, and, and they're claiming they started feeding the bots bogus results. I don't believe that, though. If you've caught the bots at that point, you could just stop them. You don't have to feed them bogus results. You could just... Uh, I, I think that's a smokescreen. Well, the F- Polish Ministry of Finance responded, saying the Ministry of Finance has never undertaken any illegal actions to gather data. Names of those taking part... Um, I understand... As, as, he put names of those taking part. I'm not sure what that means. Anyway, um, Alexander Dreyfus said, I understand it's your legal answer. I don't blame you to write that. Do you want me to prove it publicly? So they're denying it, but uh, Alexander Dreyfus is saying, uh-uh, I can prove it publicly if you're going to deny this. So uh, they still denied it, and then Dreyfus did prove it publicly, detailing several of the scrapers that were used by the bots, the exact... IP addresses, IP addresses they used and um, showed that uh, about 200,000 of the player profiles were just were scraped between uh, February 29th, 2004 and January 1st. I think that's an error in this article. I think they mean December 29th. 
It was. It was an error. It's probably December 29th through January 1st. That's what I get for getting my news from other sources. Now, apparently, uh, the weird thing about this, you may think they're trying to find out who won among Polish players so they can uh, make them pay taxes. But the weird thing about this is that um, apparently uh, these players are not even responsible for for taxes. Um, Dreyfus said, the Hindenburg results are only live results in land-based casinos, which, funny enough, are not taxable by the Polish government, except for events outside the European Union. So uh, the relevancy is very limited. So I guess what you win online, if you're a Polish citizen, you have to pay. But if you play a live tournament in the European Union, then you don't owe taxes on it. But maybe they're looking for World Series results or something that take place like in Las Vegas. So Dreyfus is standing up for his users and, and for the people who he listed saying, hey, if you dare use any of this info to go after Polish citizens, then I'm going to sue you because you broke European law by scraping data off our site. So it's funny. The Polish ministry is like, hmm, we're going to find out about uh, Polish players that may not have paid proper taxes. We're just going to scan everything on the Hendon Mob database and uh, see what we can find out. And this guy's like, uh-uh-uh. Not going to happen. So good for him. The Polish finance ministry needs to do their own work, not uh, take other people's work and use it to collect taxes. Finally, Coinbase has set up a Bitcoin exchange. Coinbase has been around for a while. They're really the easiest service to use to obtain and to sell Bitcoin. Uh, they have now set up an exchange. What I mean by an exchange is uh, you're not buying the Bitcoins from them, supposedly, but more that you put up what price you want to buy or sell Bitcoins, and it matches you with someone else who wants to buy or sell Bitcoins. So you say, I want to buy a Bitcoin for $300. Well, as soon as a seller sees that and wants to sell you one for $300, then the transaction takes place. They will take a 0.25% commission on each of these exchanges. However, it is not a direct exchange. What they're actually doing is they are buying the Bitcoin from one person and selling it to the other person. So to the user, it looks like an exchange, but it's not technically an exchange because they are actually being the middleman, purchasing and reselling it, and then taking the 0.25% percent commission. There will be no commission for two months on this, and uh, they're only licensed to do this in 24 states. This includes Alabama, Arkansas, California, Delaware, Georgia, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Massachusetts, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Dakota, Puerto Rico, which isn't really a state, South Carolina, Washington, West Virginia, and Wisconsin, notably absent Nevada. Can't do it in Nevada, apparently. They're not licensed there. But they are licensed in those uh, 24 states and territories to uh, do this exchange. And uh, this gave Bitcoin a boost. Bitcoin, which is languishing in the low 200s, 
after its crash and small recovery, rose up to as high as $311 per coin. That's just a surprise to a lot of people. But uh, Bitcoin has retreated a bit since then. It's at 256 and it's been uh, falling for the past day or so after hitting its high. So I guess the Coinbase party is over, though they are going forward with these plans. And Coinbase has $106 million in backing from the New York Stock Exchange and uh, financial institutions. So this could be seen as something that legitimizes Bitcoin. I don't know if it's going to matter that much in the grand scheme of things. Uh, There are still some questions about funds safety. Is it going to become the next Mt. Gox? Because uh, since this is not a situation where you are directly exchanging it with other users, Coinbase is still holding coins. They are... You know, they're, they're buying coins and selling coins. But they claim they are insured against any kind of shenanigans, such as theft or hacking. And they claim the amount they're insured is an amount that exceeds the average value of online Bitcoin it holds at a given time. So that's saying an average value. So technically, yeah, they could lose because uh, if the Bitcoin they're holding is above average and they get hacked at that point and lose all their Bitcoin, then they won't be able to cover it, nor will their insurance policy. They're also not covering any losses that the user incurs, such as if someone hacks your password. It's just tough luck on you. I don't think this is going to matter all that much. I think it's an interesting thing. I think it makes it a little easier to buy Bitcoin, but I don't think it's going to matter that much. The bottom line is that uh, this is not... Bitcoin is still something that's not accessible to the average American. And uh, this is not something that the average American wants to use or even fully understands. This is never going to catch on big time. So I don't think Bitcoin, I think Bitcoin's kind of hit its ceiling for the number of people it will appeal to. And until it becomes something that's super easy and something that merchants are going to be willing to hold and not just buy and immediately sell, then it is not going to do very much for you as far as an investor to Bitcoin or a Bitcoin fanatic. But it's an interesting thing, and I'm not going to say that I won't perhaps participate in this, but right now at the moment I really don't have any desire to buy any Bitcoin. I actually sold the one Bitcoin I had left when it was falling. And I, I didn't really care if I was selling at the high point or the medium point or the low point. I just, I wanted to get rid of it just in case there was a huge crash and it was only one Bitcoin, so it wasn't going to matter much either way. So uh, let me quickly read some text before we shut this show down. From the 951 area code, I'm going to have to reschedule our coaching session, Druff. I'll show you the art of the check raising next week. That was in the 951 area code. And uh, 619 area code, what the fuck, Druff, gay party? <laughs> so those are the texts we got tonight. So remember, there is no show 
Next week, we return on February 10th, Tuesday, February 10th at the normal time. I, I would say the uh, at 6.30. I would say it's at 6.30, but we know it's not going to be at 6.30. So I think tonight we're going to have a, a special uh, closing song instead of the usual song. Bit of a different show, also from the 1970s. You recognize that? Yep, WKRP in Cincinnati. If you haven't watched this show, I suggest that uh, you catch it. You can find some episodes online. You can download it off torrents. You can even buy uh, some DVDs of like... uh, I think all the seasons are being sold now. It's actually a very underrated show and uh, very clever and actually aged very well. And something you'll find is that most shows about a specific topic, the experts in that topic tend to hate it. Like they will hate the uh, doctors, will hate medical shows, police will hate cop shows. But radio people loved WKRP in Cincinnati. And this is the closing credits to WKRP. If you can't understand the lyrics, it makes sense because the lyrics are actually intentionally nonsense. They mean nothing. In fact, they're even hard to understand, and that's all by design. So catch it if you can. It's a, it's a very funny show, and it, you won't even feel like you're watching a show from 35 years ago, aside from the dated hairstyles. Good night, everybody. See you in two weeks, and shalom.